Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 13. Now, this is the Baker's Dozen Whoa. for August 25th, 2023. Uh, as always, we have Ricardo Contreras. This drops on Friday. A Friday episode of numbered 13th. Ooh. <gasps> Ooh. Spooky. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> and we know, we know how much... Patrick Klepek loves spooky season. Ooh, it's so spooky when it's 99 degrees outside and it feels like 105. Ooh, it's spooky. Oh Heat God. stroke. Ooh. Climate change Ooh. is yeah. coming. Ooh. Ooh. It's, it's bad outside. It's bad outside right now. I just want to say this experience of watching Patrick do this is enhanced by the fact that his shirt is covered in spider. Let me see, spiders, black cats, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. red floating skulls as he's doing his woo spooky. Because I, hey, I mean, listen, I'm late August. That's images. basically Halloween. Like, yeah, we're good to go. Spooky images alternate in front of my face. Like I, I have child brain. This is terrifying. The skeleton's back <laughs> up out front. Like he yeah. took a two month break and woo! back to school. Jackson Bones, he he has a uh, he has a like you know uh for, like first day of school like sort of sign. Mm-hmm. He, uh, mini Jackson Bones is out there with their oh. own sign. Oh my took god! My, yes, took one of my kids' old backpacks, yeah, put it on the mini Jackson yeah. Bones. Big yeah. Jackson yeah. Bones is taking them to school. Extremely really good. <laughs> We're back, baby. And you heard her just a moment ago. Renata Price. Hi. What's your ba- what's your baker's dozen pastry sona? Oh. Okay, so this is going to be really revealing. It's like this is very <laughs> my thirteenth donut when I'm at the when I'm at the like uh, donut shop. It's like getting a dozen donuts. Mm-hmm. I want that plain. Give wow. me that plain donut. It's like wow. I'm the only one who loves them, but also like they are so good when they are fresh. And it is like the you know underneath all good donuts, there is like a simple, beautiful, you know, er donut. Uh, mm. That is subtle, that has that little bit of crispiness, and is best appreciated just with like a cup of black coffee. And that's my little treat as the <laughs> as the donut driver. As, as you've eaten the other uh, the other twelve donuts, your little treat to yourself is this this plain donut. Oh, bro, that's the one that gets me right. My tummy. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like shit. I need something to bring me out of this. <laughs> that's the health donut. <laughs> All right, well. 
<laughs> I didn't need that second Boston cream pie donut, but it happened. But this, you and me, plain donut, we're going to get through this. <laughs> you, you, you and a couple of Toms uh, are going to be, are going to be the dessert for my dessert breakfast. Not just, just a state uh, of mind. As always, we are a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. We hope you'll do more than learn. We hope you'll subscribe using the website, which has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans that give you access to exclusive remap content and help keep us going as a team. Oh, and is someone porn? Like, do we change? <laughs> what? <laughs> Come behind Wait. the curtain of this remap. Ooh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Join. It's at the foundation tier. Listen to the HOA on foundation tier. <laughs> And hear all the darkest secrets that Patrick and Rob have to share with each other. And with you, lucky listeners. <laughs> and for people who want to watch, for people who want to see us on camera, on the web, <laughs> you can watch our VOD from twitch.tv slash remap radio, where you'll see me react live to learning live, my wife live, and I live. were just assessed. $16,000 to repair <laughs> stuff in our condo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. oh, that's right. That's right. That did happen live. So we really need you to subscribe. <laughs> and if speaking like this Rob, will help move the, the needle, oh. or if it won't, Rob did. either way, just get over there. Sign Rob up. Did get that terrible news live on stream and then joked about, oh, we re- we're going to need quite a hype train to balance this one out. And then people got like a level nine <laughs> hype train going. Are you kidding me? Oh my god! I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we're like, we're okay. Rob will be okay. I mean, it was it was bad enough news that I was like, do we have to take the stream down? Did Rob like get some like horrible trauma? And a text well, because it was like, this? so I'm sitting on the stream because we're we're doing we're like looking at basically we're we're streaming us looking at Zillow listings <laughs> just to fully let like I need to illustrate. People sometimes think the housing market is one way, but here in Boston, it's really not. Like you need to understand just how ridiculous it is. Uh, and something you kind of have to behold. But while we're on stream, MK texts me and is like, lol, we just found out what we're being assessed for the condo building repairs. And I thought it was like, a, okay, it's going to be bad, but like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of funny too. And no, it was like, you know, this doesn't come through over text. Sometimes like really dark laughter just sounds like, ha <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> but actually it was, it was the dark laughter. It was more it like, was an, the, like a dark souls NPC cackling, like yeah. behind a jail cell <laughs> laughter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> with, with, a, with a PDF attached of a, of a parking garage assessment. And $16,000 is, and I'm, I'm, I'm correct in believing this. Um, Cause I know how numbers work and I'm just pulling this number out of my ass here is uh technically still within fifteen thousand dollars one fifteen thousand one hundred fifty dollars plus two week cap uh plus plus two <laughs> weeks plus two weeks pay so, so you're fucking golden well the pro so yeah the uh as soon as that severance shows up that's all gonna be taken care of no need to worry about the uh the the assessment but anyway, uh, something else showed up that was hopefully better than a condo condo board assessment for special repairs, and that is the new Armored Core. And I'm just dying to hear about Armored Core. 
I, y'all, they were they made a sixth Armored Core game in the year 2023, and they committed to making a sixth Armored Core game in the year 2023. Could not be more thrilled. Um, <laughs> Let's fucking. I am. Go. I am actually most excited <laughs> to hear Patrick talk about Armored Core as someone who likes FromSoft's other games, but I think has had a distance from Armored Core itself. Yeah, I, I, my history with Armored Core is probably like a lot of people that I picked up Armored Core on the PlayStation 1 at the family video. As we, we all went to the family Movie video. Lovers it was love only family <laughs> video. <laughs> and so I have memories of playing a lot of From Software games at a young age, even if they weren't, I wasn't internalizing that it was From Soft because From Soft was not From Soft right. for many of us until, uh, Demon Souls or really Dark Souls, uh, c- comes around. Um, and, so I played Kingsfield. I played the original Armored Core. I got I have distinct memories of like customizing a Mac and playing a game, but it didn't it didn't leave an imprint uh, on me. And it wasn't until the announcement of Armored Core Six, where now FromSoft, like many people, I is one of my all time favorite studios. It's the kind of thing where every time they announce something, I am interested because if they think it's interesting, well, I trust that if they think it's interesting, I I I could also find it interesting, and that has basically been true. Even for their strange VR project that they did for PSVR that all of two dozen people played, one of which was me. Um, and so all along, I think, you know, we had the, the term Mecha Souls has been a joke since FromSoft took off in the popular consciousness the way they have yeah. in the last 10 years. Because I think it was not unreasonable to wonder if the studio was ever to revisit an, a property like Armored Core wouldn't it pretty be natural to merge like the customization aspects of Armored Core with the gameplay dynamics and level design of a Souls game? Wouldn't that be neat? And I'm here to tell you after playing Armored Core 6, wouldn't that be neat is still like the operating theory. Because that's not the the game Mm -hmm. that they made. This is... This is Armored Core 6. It is not the Armored Core. It It is not a reboot of the Armored Core franchise. It is... It is a game that is steeped in history and legacy. It is not, it cannot be unwound from modern FromSoft. It cannot be uh, removed from its modern legacy. If you were to think of FromSoft as like distinct eras, um, sort of like pre-Souls and post-Souls. And so everything they've done post-Demon Souls, it can be felt here. But it, it can, all it can do is be felt because it is it is influencing Armored Core 6, but the dominant DNA, the foundational pieces of what this is, is an it is still it is it is an evolution. It is a change, but it is an evolution along the same track that Armored Core was running when it was a PlayStation One game. Um, and so, if you are wanted this to be Mecha Souls, it is not. I do think this game will be for more people than Armored Core games have been in the past. It is streamlined. It is more accessible than it's ever been. But they did not make Mecha Souls. And I almost wish there was a demo of this game available just for people to kind of wrap their head around what like what it is. Um, and we'll talk through kind of the first chapter of the game because I think it gives a like broad look at what this game is presenting as. But I, where I fall on it is I'm not sure if it's for me, but it is impeccably designed for what it wants to yep. be. And like I have tremendous respect for it as a mech action game. And then I just wonder what I need to wrestle with in like the weeks ahead is can I pin down all the (laughs) armored core ass parts of it 
in a way that makes it functional for me. And I, I haven't quite solved that yet. So I was someone who like had a distant, uh, similar, uh, in, in many ways similar to Patrick, had a, like a pretty distant appreciation of Armored Core as like someone who like really loves mech games. But like I did not grow up contempt like as a contemporary to the era of horror of high Armored Core. Right, I did not grow up in the era where there was like an Armored Core game being released every year because FromSoft just was doing that for a while. It was either a main game or a spin-off or an expansion. It was like pretty consistent there throughout like most of the um most of like the 2000s and the very very early 2010s. But like by the time Yeah, PS1, PS2 era, you get a shitload of Armored Core and then you get a little bit of Armored Core as we enter the 360 PS3 era and then the series has dropped off. It's been gone for I think a full decade. Um, yeah. Um, and so I went back to it recently, uh, and like figured out and like went back to understand like every game, at least understand the, the different control schemes that define each respective era of Armored Core. Because like, that's the thing is that like Armored Core has changed the way that game like fundamentally plays so many times that it's like, uh, like in terms of like completely revamping the control scheme, something that the Souls games have never really done. Uh, once, once they got there, the, the, the control scheme at the heart of those games, that has been at least consistent through Elden Ring, for the most part through Bloodborne, even through Sekiro, which it's is like a combat, combat variants of the same foundation, right? Like Sekiro plays very different. Bloodborne plays very different, but like they're all orbiting like the, they're different flavors <laughs> of the same thing. Right. And they all like use the same buttons, uh, literally the same buttons for the same actions for the most yeah. part. Um, that is not true of Armored Core, in which, like, from game to game, from era to era, you could be talking about, like, completely different control layouts for for these mechs. And so what Six does is it takes a lot of the um, slower and, like, more considered aspects of the first, like, three mainline games, AC 1, 2, and 3, and then combines them with the much more aerially driven uh and like extremely quick combat of like four and five uh, and like finds a happy medium between them and then also introduces a hard lock-on system which is like a pretty big difference from previous armored core games which straight up did not have a hard lock-on instead what would happen was when an enemy came into your vision and the game would do a soft lock onto them and then basically you would take your thumb off of the stick and it would just follow them as much as it could until unless they moved so quickly that your targeting system literally could not keep up with them. Uh, and so, you know, fighting a mech that your targeting system can't keep up with is like a totally different experience from fighting any other kind of mech. And so it's like, you know, lock on speed was an, is a fundamental thing to how Armored Core works. That is still true here, uh, because most of the fights that you are engaging in in this game are against enough group, like a large enough group, where like if you try to lock on and tunnel vision on a single enemy, you are going to be fucked. You are going to be obliterated. Uh, and most of the grunts go down pretty quick, and so it's actually much more about like threat management. Um, or even just the, the weaponry that the mechs, especially some of the bosses that you face, there is a real sense of space to how different missiles are deployed right you have missiles that deploy essentially like hey they, they come up off of a shoulder and they shoot forward and maybe they go straight forward maybe they go in an arc you have different missiles that shoot in the air they disappear for one two three four and so a lot of the game is managing vision like not just peripheral vision not just like tunnel vision but 
keeping track of like what's around. Oh, right. They launch missiles into the air that are coming down on me. And so, and you also have access to weapons like that. So you can play in that similar space, but it is, it is a game where it, it like between the verticality, the mobility, and then just the spatial awareness are all interplaying, interlocking with one another to give the player a lot to be spatially thinking about on any moment to moment basis relative to just the enemy, let alone what you are doing with your ability to throw those things into the, the space as well. Here's my pitch on the complexity and like depth involved in Armored Core 6's combat and like what what a moment, what a like, oh, fuck yeah, moment in this game actually feels like. Uh, so recently I redesigned like my primary mech, uh, which by the way, it's very funny. Uh, your player character in this game uh, steals the ID tags off of a dead mercenary named Raven. Uh, and as someone who went mm. by the name Raven online for several years, I did the, not make to, that connection. That's to extremely the degree funny. That like a lot of people, including one Austin Walker still calls me Raven in like a interpersonal context uh, is very funny to then get to the armored core games, which are, you know, center raven as a name like very um you know consistently um which is very funny but uh you know i was i was adjusting my mech uh and i was using this like four-legged this this tetrapod this like tetrapod mech with two handheld like effectively smgs and those smgs are not for doing damage those smgs are for doing stagger damage uh, and so what they do is basically if you fire two SMGs at once, you can really rack up stagger damage quickly, but those SMGs also have to be reloaded. Uh, and when you are redoing the reload animation on those SMGs, the enemy's stagger meter is decreasing. Um, the other thing about my Mac is that it has a missile system on its right shoulder, and then on its left shoulder, it has a back-mounted pile driver. Uh, which is basically, uh, sorry, a pile bunker, which is just a big spike. Uh, it's the spike that everyone saw from the AC6 trailer. One of the mechs like jams the big spike into the other mech and it comes out all like oily and bloody. That one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have one of those. Uh, and so basically the way my, my mech works is uh, you shoot, the, you use the machine guns to stagger the enemy and then you hit them with a pile bunker and that can one shot an armored core. That, that can one shot an enemy AC. Uh, if you if you do it properly, it just requires like really careful management of the enemy stagger gauge. Um, and that management has to come from like timing your missiles properly. So like I would like get down to like, you know, half a clip in my SMG and be like, OK, let me fire my missiles now. And then so there's this moment where I'm fighting this enemy. Um, I have been struggling to stagger them the whole time. I've been really struggling to stagger them. And eventually I just like say, fuck it. And I rush in. Uh, and then I get down to half a clip in my machine gun, release the rockets. They, you know, enter in like a V formation away from me and then come back. And like, like Patrick was saying, all of the missiles function differently. The ones that I have go in two directions and then narrow down to a point in a pincer attack. So you can't dodge left or right to get away from them. You have to go forward or backwards. Um, which means that I can force movement in like very particular ways. And so, um, you know, fire these missiles off my shoulder and then I dash forward with the game's like effectively like long range boost ability that lets you do like a cool kick at the end of it. And when you do the cool kick at the end of it, it does a ton of stagger damage. Um, and so basically 
all of these things hit at the exact same time. The missiles hit, my stagger kick hits, I run out of ammo and start reloading at the same time, and the stagger clicks perfectly into place as I pull the pile bunker off of my back and then one-shot this, like, enemy tank. And, like, that is, that is this game to me, is, is like, the management of all of these, like, different projectiles and you know, ways of interacting and, like, shutting down options for your enemy and then finishing them with, you know, whatever particular weapon you would like to use to, like, hit someone very hard when they're staggered. Um, and so, like, the the central role of staggering and, like, how you stagger enemies, like, really makes different builds feel completely different. Using, like, a ch- even if, like, two different mid-ranged weapons will interact with stability in totally different ways. And and I really, really love it. Good question. Just mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> getting a sense for what encounters what a mission looks like in yeah. this game you know i think of like a, uh, a series like mech warrior right that is a that is a series where it, like each mission begins usually it's like movement to contact you know you start in your mission start area mm-hmm. and then there's the entire like you know not quite not they're not quite stealth games but there's that moment of like combat has not yet begun you have moments to scout things out sort of like take in what you're going up against is like like what does what does the mission structure look like in this game? Is is there that like sort of recon phase, or is it mostly you're nah. in the arena? Here's your here's your array of enemies. I would I would not say no as firmly, but as, I wouldn't as, say yes. I wouldn't like what I would. Rob is describing where it's like I'm going to circle around and really get a sense of the entire space and all the enemies and what I might might be up against. You can scan, but it's pretty local. Like you have to get awfully close before you have like a really great sense of what's around you um, at least before they start playing with like actual stealth mechs that can, that can hide from your uh, actual vision. So my, my counter to this is that I actually think that like there's, there's operation Wallbreaker, um, the games, I believe sixth uh, mission, like the, 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 the big one, Patrick, where you, you know, it's a, it's, it's Wallbreaker, the one you go up the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that mission does have a recon phase at the very beginning. Like it that gives one does. you I, I, like, massive like, overview. Yeah, I just the, the vast majority tend to be like go into a space, like fight the things, move on, move on to the next thing. And then there are there are exceptions to that. There's like there's another sequence where there's very little combat. But you're like scaling a giant desert crawler sort of equivalent and taking out power sources. Um, and so that's less scouting as much as you're doing maneuverability around around really just a series of tricky weird geometry and platforming uh sequences yeah. um i just think like, like i played the mech warrior games back when they came out like those like mid 90s like that had a very different flavor of scouting than it was like just much longer mm-hmm. and yeah. more uh considered than what happened here so it's, it's yeah it's ren is true ren, ren is right there is there is there are scouting bits to armored core in the first chapter that ren and i have played but way less considered than what you're talking yeah. about in like that era of mech warrior yeah uh, and then yeah, Patrick. Like, the the rest of the missions is just like once you're going, you're going. Um, in a way that's like, I mean, I think the encounter design is really great. Um, I've been really impressed with the like different combat scenarios that they have like cooked up that have like pushed me in some really interesting ways. Um, Operation Wallbreaker or Operation Wall Cri- Wall Climber, uh, which is the game's sixth mission, is like fucking incredible. Um, the pitch Rob is that there is this like impenetrable wall. Um, that's like absolutely massive. Your mechs are big. Your mechs are big. They're like, you know, I think that they're like, I think like five or six stories, like four or five, six stories, depending on like how you kit them out. 
Um, this wall is like, even if you fly with your booster, you cannot fly over this wall. It is like miles high. It feels miles high. Um, and along this wall on the outside, are just these artillery cannons um, that are just like blasting away at you from a distance. And then a main cannon up top. And basically your objective is to get past this main cannon by just like evading its fire and like trying to like find little bits of cover to be the like tip of the spear for a invading force. Uh, and your job is basically to take out the primary defenses. So the main force of MTs, um, which is the game's like non non armored core mechs, uh, can follow in behind you uh, and basically like w wipe everything up. But the way this actually plays out is when you're moving through the city in front of this gigantic wall, you're using all of these buildings for cover and like switching into this like very tight urban combat maneuver like mode where it's like, okay, I can close in on the wall by using these massive buildings for cover. So I'm not getting like pinged by artillery this whole time. But that also means that I have to fight in really close quarters with a bunch of like enemy MTs. Uh, while also the minute I swing out from around a building, those are artillery snap right onto you, you or like an enemy <laughs> snaps right onto you and you're like okay if you are walking into those zones if you're boosting into those zones what you have to do is being like okay i know i'm gonna get hit if i get out here i know that i'm gonna get hit if i stay here so i'm gonna have to move out and then i can predict that i'm going to be hit by the artillery i can't predict what the five people uh the five other people i'm fighting are going to be doing so i'm going to take the safer option that i can predict and dodge out of the way of this basically bit of artillery fire and then get hit um, by it get staggered because we should point out ren talks a lot about the staggering of enemies you too also yeah. <laughs> have a stagger oh, nice. um and so you can get <laughs> blasted by the stagger you're like time to do a well-timed mid-air dodge whoops that was not a well-timed mid-air dodge. <laughs> and you just watch your mech plummet to the ground. It was also, Ren, I totally believe you. Right. And, you're, and you're elegant. I'm, I'm timing all my missiles. Like, you seem like the type of player that can pull that off. Me, I'm like, my meat fingers, I'm like, shoot the missiles! I get them all going! And like, not, like, you also be paying attention to the reloading, like, in the bottom right-hand corner, so you have, a, like, you can watch the animations, and like, there is some, like, aesthetic stuff that's, like, telling you about what's happening in your mech, where, like, it's a lot, it's, if that sounds really intricate, it yeah. is. And yeah. so, in playing it, it's intricate, it's complex, and it's frequently overwhelming. This game has an incredibly, what I found, difficult skill check in its own tutorial. Um, the first boss of this game, like the helicopter, uh, yeah, it, which is in the first yeah. half hour of the game, and in fact, I think is a harder boss than what the game throws at you in the next three to four hours of that game as you work <laughs> through the first chapter. It's, I mean, it's essentially the game sitting you down, patting you on the head and saying, this game is about aggression and you have a sword. Like, go figure that out. And every time you're like, no, I, I think I can dodge. Like, I, I got these missiles and these machine guns. It's like, it's like patting on the head. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you're going to die again. And, and like, <laughs> I did that over and over again. It's, it's, it, it's a particularly, I mean, maybe it's welcomed because the game is not screwing around. Like, this game does not care. It's not uncaring. It has very good tutorials um, that explain different mech styles. Um, uh, different uh, ways of weapons functioning. Those are kind of deployed, not all at the front. It's kind of given to you layered over mm -hmm. the first chapter. And I think it does a fairly decent job of 
laying out how different parts of this games are going to work. But at no point in explaining its complexity does it rein itself in from demanding that you really grok that complex. Like, this isn't a game where, look, you can kind of just get the weapons they kind of give you and, like, mm. just you'll be, you can just kind of muddle your way forward. Like, this is not a game you can muddle forward on. You will hit, like, the end of chapter one, a boss that is essentially, like, all great souls bosses or anything that like FromSoft is designed like or just great bosses in general which is a hey you made it this far put it all together and also we're going to confuse you a little bit and ask you to uh reestablish your strategy and i'm i think it's called flailing i think it's called fla- i looked up the word i think it's called flailing as i've <laughs> flailing against the flaming boss get it yeah because huh? yeah. the midway yeah. part yeah. the oh, boss you know, yeah, starts, starts to, using the fire sword starts yeah. using fire um i can reliably yeah. get to the to the fire sequence and then and then it all it all falls apart for me in that boss. yeah i i i beat it this morning after like probably like a dozen attempts um this is and which is you know something i'll say is more than I can say for basically any armored core boss I've encountered, with the exception of White Glint. Um, White Glint is a boss in AC4A that is like, in that game, like, basically its hardest stopping point, where it's like, that is where AC4A goes, you are going to learn how to pilot this fucking mech. You're going to learn how to pilot your specific mech, or you are not getting past this goddamn fight. So, so do you think this game has a much higher difficulty floor than the series has ever had? Is that your estimation of, of where this one lands? I'm certainly dying more. I'm certainly dying much, okay. much more than in... And there's no difficulty slider, right? So you're playing on... We're playing at the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, okay. Hmm. Um, but it also has a healing system that the other games didn't have. The other games did not have an Estus flask at all. Right. What, what the the health you went into a mission with is the health you're going to leave a place like the is the amount of health that you have to work with the entirety of this mission. With here, you are expected to get hit. Um, and there are checkpoints. Th- Were there checkpoints mm-hmm. in previous AC games? there are checkpoints here so like let's say you make it through and there's usually like one checkpoint a mission or a checkpoint right before a boss um and you may get to that boss or that checkpoint and maybe you've used all your med kits or your or you've got one left um and you can die you'll get refreshed you'll yeah. you'll start not with what you arrived at but what you can have completely in order to take on the fight again and then there are I, they're not bonfires but there are like supply sections where yeah. uh it's not a checkpoint, so you can't die there, but then you will get resupplied as you go forward. So, Patrick, do you know who those are for? Who? Those are for players attempting to S-rank the mission. Oh, right, because if when you replay it, um, depending on how much you die or get hit is also... And there, I think there's a trophy for S-ranking or everything. How much ammo you spend as well. Which, jeez, good lord. I mean, <laughs> this is a game about min-maxing, right? Like, And mm-hmm. so like the higher higher level play is going to like demand even more of that. So that, that makes sense. Like none of that is, is sacrificed here in pursuit of FromSoft being a like best in class, like world renowned developer. Like it's actually like really impressive that like this game's going to sell well, right? It's not going to sell what Elden Ring did, but I think it's yeah. really cool that they made this game without, it's not without compromise. It is acknowledging where FromSoft exists in the space, but I don't think it's doing that by giving up, it's not seeding any ground in that. It's just doing the kind of basic accessibility. And I'm using that very specific term. I don't mean that because <laughs> the Souls games are not necessarily particularly accessible. But I mean, like, in terms of being streamlined, right? Like, there's streamlining a- that happened over the course of the Souls development that was, a, was that was alongside FromSoft just making, I think, the, be- the games better 
without sacrificing what made them special. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you see here with AC is that it is a more approachable game, but not because they've made it easy or like I think they have these all feel like very normal and understandable concessions or evolutions to make. And yet every AC fan I've talked to that has played this game or touched this game has come away going, ah, they just made a game for me again. Um, but I think they've widened that circle just enough. It's not going to crack the way these other games have, I don't think, but you're going to get a bunch more sickos as a result of this game, I think. Yeah, this game will produce, will, will be, will be a sicko factory. Um, <laughs> especially because like, I think a lot of the things that, that people who are already soul sickos, like, like deep soul sickos get really into, uh, is on display, uh, in, in, in AC6 in terms of like build differentiation. Oh my God, the build differentiation here is like, so, it's so good. It's, it's, it's tremendous. Patrick, can I, can mm-hmm. I get a little bit of insight into the mech that you're using? Uh, well, uh, Jessica is pink, um, primarily, uh, mm-hmm. with some purple, uh, <laughs> flourishes. Uh, we're oh, out here too. not hiding. Uh, we, we want people to see us. We're coming. We're coming for <laughs> you. We're gonna hide know. in the shadows. Let them know. Like those, like those fucking, like, stealthy mechs that are hiding and I gotta use my scanner, you pieces of shit. Come out into the light. Um, yeah, I've, I have, um, I'm really intrigued by... Like, there's a tutorial that, like, shows you the light mechs, right? Which in, involve a lot of, uh, you can, like, change, like, your booster, um, which allows you to, like, boost more often. Basically, like, it's a very nimble mech that can kind of, like, ping, 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 kind of ping around. That sounds very appealing. I don't have all the parts to really support that um, uh, quite yet. So I've mostly stuck with a medium-sized mech. I'm mesmerized by the sword. The sword is something you get early on, and it's so much fun to use. It causes an incredible amount of stagger damage. Um... And so I have used like the laser rifle, which has like a um, like a regular shot ability, mm-hmm. and then a really transfixing like uh, charge shot ability where that does an enormous. St- are you talking about the one where you yeah. stop and you stand yeah. still? Yeah, you can't move. I think so- there are build types. There are build. Yes, there are. So this is how deep this game goes. Like so, this laser rifle, it's got a one shot that you just you know you tap R two or whatever, and then you can hold it, and then your mech like in mid air or on the ground will like stop strike a strike a pose like it's about to perform an execution of the mech across the way and then fire this this charged yes. laser for you know yes. about a half a second that does a ton of damage but there are certain types of mech builds that can pull that off while still moving and so you can affect like the the the, the style of a charge attack if you build in that certain direction and i think where so basically i broadly have like a medium sized mech where i don't have to worry too much about um what am I putting on? I can mostly put on whatever I want and focus almost exclusively on how do the weapons feel. And um, it's like the equivalent of the like medium role in like, you know, in a Souls game. It's like you can kind of put on whatever you want with the exception of like, really heavy weapons and um, play around. And that's a lot. I've, I've spent most of my money buying weapon parts as opposed to body parts because I'm just trying to figure out how do all the weapons work? How do they feel like? How do they fit into the flow of of combat for me? And I think the wall I'm running into, mm-hmm. um, and it's why I'm excited for this game to, I'm not giving up on it, but I think I'm, I can, I don't like games with deep customization. Like I tend to prefer like specific character types with like skill tree. Like there's a certain type of hard action game that I like. And once you get into a game where it's like, hey, did that fight not go well? Well, you you can go back in and you can customize all different body parts and try that again. That sets off alarm bells for me. That immediately makes me not want to 
re-engage. And what I much prefer is when this game comes out, it's like, here are different, like, body types and, like, builds that are going to be interesting and effective for this boss. Because the execution is still extremely hard. Mm-hmm. You can have all the stuff. I think if you had everything for that chapter one boss that is extremely difficult, has two challenging, very different fa- uh, phases, it's not, you're not going to one-shot them. You are still going to have to do, and I think where I need to get over the hump on this game is I need other people to show me what are interesting and competent builds because the game, like, doesn't give me, like, I can't just click, like, hey, do you just kind of want, like, a light build? Do you want a medium build? Do you want a heavy build? Like, here are, like, some recommended weapons for, like, this fight, and I need a little more of that hand-holding so I can just build a foundational knowledge base, um in the game okay well one thing i'll say is that it does technically have that it's just in a weird place and so i know why you haven't used it uh and also has like a (laughs) bunch of like weird bullshit around it um patrick have you done any of the arena fights i have i have i've I've done all those so i could get the all the os upgrade that's where you get like the kick and stuff like that right Uh, so the other thing you get from those is you get those mechs like special like spec sheets you can just, if you oh. have the parts, you can just like basically press a button Need and the game map. will straight up load all of their, it'll load their color scheme, it'll load all of their weapons, it'll load all of their like body type well, shit. Well, that's not explained. Um, game. Yeah. Well, the problem is that, well, the the problem being that some of those parts you unlock later on, because the idea right. is like they're a pilot that's technically more experienced yeah. than you. And so they have parts you can't get yet. But as the game goes on, more and more of those like, oh, I remember fighting this guy and it being fun. Let me try this specific build thing uh, becomes more of an option. That's neat. Yeah, I guess what I'm wondering is like, if I was just sat and grind, like, because you can grind, can you grind the previous, you can replay previous missions. Do you get yes. money out yes, of replaying previous missions? Oh, yes, so you do. I've spent a lot of time, Patrick. So, yeah, I, I re- <laughs> if I could, I would just flip on a cheat code that just turned off currency because it's doing nothing for me in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just rather have all the parts so I can play around as opposed to having to replay a mission six times so I can get the $300,000 like like foundational, like the big tank piece, like so I can see if that is like an interesting uh, build. But even if I don't do that, yes, you're talking about a game that has spec sheets that it can build towards as I'm going through the game. I think what I, what I want is I want to read like some guides that are like, based on the parts you can have access to now, here are some effective strategies. And then I can use that to kind of build out how to how to play the game yeah god if only someone was working on a four thousand word script about the intersection of the guides economy and from software's game design that'd be crazy Damn. if that was does it also have like a walkthrough for the chapter one boss and armored core six <laughs> sadly it sadly it does like... not <laughs> sadly <laughs> does the script okay, does right. not diverge into talking okay, about okay, that for right. another well, thousand yeah, words yeah I'm, sh- I'm sure the internet will have me oh, covered but i think don't worry patrick i, think... I got you on the next one <laughs> the uh i think the long and short on this i think ren and i are agreement that it's a tremendous game like yeah. FromSoft has nailed it Kato as an mm-hmm. aside all this makes me think is stopping cowards from from <laughs> doing another armored core easy totally t- straightforward yeah. you can see how they got there Kingsfield Kingsfield though are you a coward are you a coward FromSoft Miyazaki bring it back listening? bring it back and don't change it no first person slow you know what Miyazaki you can even put you can even put a, a fucking poison swamp in it It'll be fine. In fact, we'll deal three with of them. I yeah. like I like it here. <laughs> I like, oh, I like it in swamps. this swamp. <laughs> I'm so excited for this game's version of a poison swamp. Because I, 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 I already <laughs> oh, no. have an idea of what this game's version of a poison swamp is going to be based on what the narrative is doing. And I am so excited for the swamp full of soul juice. Oil slash does, soul juice. 
it does. I've talked to some folks who have played uh, much further um, and there are like optional missions that are just they could not help themselves. Like, ah, we kind of made a souls thing here. We kind of made a souls level and we like just put it in the game. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was not given context. I was just given a mission title. It was like, just just make sure you just they couldn't they couldn't stop themselves. Just make sure you play this. Fuck so like, yeah. Okay, uh, Fuck I mean, yeah. I'm sure you're going to play everything, Ren, so I doubt you'll miss it, but I'll send you the mission title um, just as, a, as an aside. Um, but it's really cool. And I think a lot of people are going to like it. And I, I think it's going to be and I think a lot of uh, traditional FromSoft fans are going to realize maybe it's not for them. But for the people that it is for, I mean, they knocked it out of the park. Hey, all that talk about Poison Swamps uh, a moment ago got, got me thinking about the uh, UK. And in particular, the competitions <laughs> and market, market authority uh, and instructions they were, they were handing Excuse out. Me? No, no, let Damn, them, let them cook. transitions. <laughs> so, uh, I love Patrick, Gardner. I did want to mm-hmm. hit this, this one bit of news uh, yeah. b- before we move on with the, the pod. Uh, you know, one of the one of the major hurdles that the Microsoft Activision Blizzard uh, acquisition hit was that the UK's Competition and Markets Authority blocked the blocked the acquisition, and now Microsoft is offering further uh, concessions to get that reconsidered and have the deal uh, greenlit in the UK. So, what's being offered here? How did Ubisoft get involved in this? Well, I remember there was a uh, a theory floated by because it increasingly seemed like the the UK was the outlier here that everyone else was pointing in the direction, despite you know the efforts of the the FTC to at least slow this or produce additional concessions that the deal is broadly moving forward. And the CMA in the UK was kind of like the last major hurdle. But even after the FTC lost their court case, the CMA seemed to indicate that like just give us a treat. Like, can we just have a little bit of like a concession treat and then like we'll we'll roll over like like everybody else. Um, and the they've been floated by I think it was uh, the analyst Michael Pactor who frequently wrong about many things, but had floated the idea that could you do a special carve out for the UK where, hey, the cloud gaming rights to uh, Activision Blizzard stuff because the CMA, I think rightfully, like we when we talked about it on this podcast, we like defended that as a legitimate you know, as an unknown business in the future, trying to protect the uh, competitive landscape of, of cloud gaming seemed a reasonable hill to, uh, if not die on, to at least uh, heavily argue uh, towards. Uh, but what they did here was not carve it out for the UK specifically, but just carve out entirely the cloud gaming rights to Activision Blizzard games past, present, and in the next 15 years to Ubisoft. Um, they then have to license that back to Microsoft to appear on their cloud gaming services. I, I have to read what, um, this is from, uh, Brad Smith, uh, Microsoft president explaining like, how does the math work on this? Ubisoft will compensate Microsoft for the cloud streaming rights to Activision Blizzard games through a one-off payment through a market-based wholesale pricing mechanism, including an option that supports pricing based on usage. It's just like such like what what does what does any of that mean? Well, it means Microsoft gets to use those games, and they figured out a way that the checks clear, um, and that Ubisoft um, can offer it on Ubisoft Plus. So like they'll be able to offer 
um, Hexen 2 when that's inevitably announced, like the game we are all waiting uh, to be uh, revealed by Microsoft. Uh, but yeah, based on that whole lineup <laughs> of games, um, you know, presuming that part of the the deal closing, Microsoft will transfer a huge majority of Activision Blizzard's games onto cloud streaming in some uh, capacity. It will allow uh, Ubisoft to offer that on um, on their platforms. And weirdly, because uh, they mentioned it could be on non-Windows platforms. So I guess in theory, there's nothing to prevent, like, let's say, uh, you know, Microsoft was often making the argument, like, it'd be nice if Sony let us put, like, cloud streaming on PlayStation or Game Pass on, on PlayStation. And you could play those games on a PlayStation through the cloud streaming app. You know, if Microsoft was to make a Activision game Xbox exclusive in the future, which is may not happen with Call of Duty, but will happen with other games. In theory, you can play that Xbox exclusive game on a PlayStation through Ubisoft Plus. I, th- I think is I think is how that like could eventually work. I think is Ubisoft Plus on PlayStation. I know it's on. I think it's on. I don't know how all these cloud streaming services. <laughs> work. Well, the other big question um, is what powers Ubisoft Plus. Probably Azure, right? Like this is probably the big question. Like, is, is, for it? <laughs> is this basically a look? I need you to, I need you to pay me to do like to I need, you. I need it to look like you're running this, but we're still running it. But you just need to be the face of this. Uh, now, admittedly, there are other, you know, there are other uh, providers who you can you can put in like that you can use for infrastructure like this. But it is very funny that the scale of these things mean the roads might lead back to Microsoft. They might lead back to Amazon or something like that. But it seems unlikely that Ubisoft is really going to be, uh, you know, entire, like standing up an entirely independent or, or runs an entirely independent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cloud streaming service, uh, you know, so much as a, a, a portal over, over other folks infrastructure. Microsoft's Azure helps bring sophisticated gaming experience to 30 million players. Gaming giant Ubisoft runs the hugely popular esports game Rainbow Six Siege. So they use Azure for some things. I can't find anything that says Ubisoft Plus uses uses Azure. Um well, but I would not be I would not be shocked. The the other thing that kind of catches my eye about this is on the one hand doing the entire like in some ways, it's a more substantial concession than you would expect, right? That they yeah. went with an entire worldwide concession. They didn't just say this is like uh, UK market focused. Um, but at the same time, you can kind of see the logic of, uh, you know, to a degree, why these mergers are concerned. So this this the rights they are signing away exist in ter- perpetuity, but they are rights for games released over the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know concession time is up right and, and if it's a long-term play which is not about this console cycle and the next but what do video games look like in 30 in 40 years. years yeah right right and so like to a degree is this you know is, is microsoft already sort of is there anticipation of what the future looks like that it will take about 15 years or so to bring all this to fruition and have widespread adoption where you don't really where, where your primary uh you know avenue for for sales and revenue is cloud gaming. I don't know, but just the the timing of it is interesting because when we talk about these things, I think a lot of times we we again business reporting tends to be in this mindset, but especially as like consumer focused outlets uh, that exist in a lot of the games press, like we do exist season to season, release season to release season. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of an alien way to be thinking of, 
No, some of the, some of these some of the plans companies are making have like phases that are marked out decades in advance. Yeah. So it, 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 my guess is this ends up being a concession that gets this gets this through. Um, they it, the, the 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 deadline is October eighteenth, but Microsoft and I guess in a private memo internally, which you know the kind of memo they expect to leak. Uh, expected this would happen much sooner. So I, I presume sometime in September. Ren, you looked like you had something to say. Yeah, I just wanted to return to uh, just because you were talking about it a second ago, Rob, like their relationship to games media to like the the you know, a, a seasonal consumer driven games media to a, you know, to a publishing industry that is increasingly like shifting the underlying economics. The thing that I wonder about is, you know, I think that there has been a lot of like, anxiety about the current state of the games industry recently. Um, and the thing that like ties into this for me is that like, Sorry, the state of games media recently. Uh, and one of the refrains that I hear a lot is that like, oh, well, this stuff is cyclical. Um, you know, the media business is a little bit cyclical. It gets bad for a little bit, then it gets better. The thing that like worries me a little bit and uh, with reference to the, the Microsoft thing is that like. The media business is cyclical under an economy that is like fundamental, that is changing its foundation or like a sector of the economy that is like changing how it operates pretty fundamentally. And and that I cannot help get worried by uh, for like the long-term stability of both like uh, of the games media as like as we, as of games media as we know it right now, but also like the industry broadly. Um, and so that's just what I, to, to, to bring it back to what we were talking about last week. Um, that is what I worry about with, you know, the long term strategizing you're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair point. And another thing is that to an extent, it is possible that the model Microsoft is building towards is one that we will discover late doesn't actually work. Yeah. Right. Like that. The 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 Netflixification, the streamification of everything you, you hear, you know, we talk about bits and pieces of this when we discuss like Game Pass, for instance. Does that model really work? Uh, is the loss leader nature of it going to mm-hmm. have to, you know, have a substantial corrective applied to it uh, at some point via price hikes and and probably selection selection uh, culling? But even beyond that, like. There is part of the move toward making everything about platforms is that the idea is you just have amassed enough of a user base and a library that the company that runs the platform can extract a lot of value from it. But even there, the margins are thin and it it comes in in little fractions of of a penny here and there. Uh, And it's only the scale that really makes it work, but it doesn't work for anyone making stuff for operating within that platform. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's one of the other things is, you know, we, when we talk about this, um, sometimes, you know, it can feel like, is Microsoft building the Death Star? Well, you know, the, the Death Star kind of didn't work, right? It kind of, a, you could argue, it kind of, it kind of took down, uh, took down the empire itself. And is this a similar sort of situation where the plan is, is unfolding in, in, in stages, but also is the plan deeply flawed? Uh, and... You know, we we don't know. Um, it's it you know it seems clear that Microsoft wants to do a lot more with this, uh, and it's going to you know have a lot of it's going to have a major impact across the industry, but we don't actually know that what they're building is going to be especially sustainable or profitable. Well, I mean, it's I mean, chances are it's going to collapse in the same way that like the various economies and like f- modes of capitalism that have come before it 
have eventually collapsed, right? Like platform capitalism is like, uh, some people argue is like a, a fully distinct mode from industrial capitalism, right? We were talking about like a shift and this is also like, you know, writings about like cognitive capitalism, which is like describing like the current state of the imperial core as like the production of a cognitariat. And like, you know, the, the theories about this do exist. And Rob, I think you're right in that like, it is building it is building the death star that destroys the empire in the way that like these systems always build the death star that destroys the empire um i just get anxious that we're just gonna get another worse version of capitalism before we get to something or before we another worse business model before we get to something actually more interesting and like that doesn't ruin people's lives like actively um I wish the dialectic yeah. was 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 working a little bit better right now. That'd be great. I'd love some better synthesis. Um. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see how you know the, the the it's just the weird thing to think about with this is like in fifteen years, if this is about when it's all unfolding, like where will we all be in life? And that's and I think that's the part that's really hard to like anticipate and cover. This stuff is right here, right here, Rob. Right here, we're just we're just gonna be right here doing this podcast, Rob. We'll be right here. <laughs> Welcome to the remap despair hour. <laughs> wow, Patrick. Rob still hasn't bought months, a house. Staring deeply into the darkness, <laughs> Patrick. This is this year. This year, I'm doing it. I'm I'm moving. I'm moving my consciousness into the cloud. We got to. I got to. <laughs> look, I know metaverse houses are expensive, <laughs> but I feel like this. This is the year I can afford to upload my conscience, my my conscious and uh, consciousness, and and go go into the metaverse. Uh, probably. Uh, oh, you know, uh, speaking of uh, Death Stars, good Death Stars. You know, they, they can exist. Like, did you see that uh, Night Dive is doing Dark Forces? Is there one of their next remasters? I didn't. Hell yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Love to play that game again. Love Dark Forces. It's just, it's one of the more straightforward, just like we are, you know, yeah. putting the original game out. We're not doing a System Shock remastered type thing. It's just a. No, no. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like the, you know, like they do. Like they just did a Quake 2, which like was uh, uh, by all accounts, like well regarded. Uh, yeah. It's just like you get 4K, mo- like modern gamepad support and yeah. things like that. Probably but, saves. Um, Probably save, probably saves, probably saves. Because this is so much dark thing, forces, but though. it ain't dark forces if you can save. Sorry, sorry, folks. No, si- well, uh, welcome to a remaps uh, Star Wars Dark Forces remaster. No save, no runs. save. Run, Rob yeah. is committed to not using uh, the saves. Look, the the thing that made Dark Forces special is that they had some of the biggest levels of the of the era, and no save system. They and went so you on just had to white knuckle. Ever. <laughs> they went on for huge so long. levels. That's fucked up. <laughs> it, it, like the game held you hostage. Where it was like I'm <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't you go down an elevator or something, it's like, oh god, this entire new area that I thought was the end of the level is just another second level within a level that's like somehow bigger <laughs> than the first. And you just have to keep going. You just have to keep going. God, what a great game. Cannot wait for Night Dive. Night Dive to bring bring that to us. They announced uh, that and and Turok three. Their obsession with wow. Turok b- 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 brings me such great delight. They've been just working their way through the Turok games. Imagine how good <laughs> Even you make the fog look now. <laughs> I played the first two. I don't know a single soul who played the third one. I'm sure you exist. I'm sure it's you not exist, Turok was- without impenetrable fog at a dis- viewing distance of twenty Can feet. Can you turn on the fog? I wonder if that 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 seems like a feature Night Dive would leave in where. 
you could like leave the like <laughs> the fog that was five feet in front but of you. But even then, if it's volumetric, it's still not right because you can see things that's in the true. fog, and that's just not mm. Turok. That's true. That's true. Uh, hey, you know, you're mentioning things that are that are upcoming, things that are being brought to us. Uh, we looked at the opening night for Gamescom uh, the other day before before my condo assessment mis- mishap <laughs> occurred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, my takeaway, like it was. It was a fine, like, main stage presentation type thing, but it also felt like it was a lot of trailers for stuff we already knew was out there, and it was like, this stuff still looks good. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but it. also announcing things as new that weren't new. Like, I, um, when they were going over the, the updated Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty expansion stuff, I think I mentioned while that trailer was going on, like, oh, yeah, and, like, they're doing all these, like, system and UI upgrades that are going to, you know, they'll go backwards into to the base game and make the whole thing like a little bit better. And then at the end of that presentation, like, and we're announcing today that th- all of these changes are going to be available in the base game. I was like, did I just spoil an embargo? I was like, I'm pretty sure someone told me that in June. I don't think. And so I think this is the nature of like the like keelification of the like E3 style events, right? Like he is, he is the backbone of Gamescoms. He has become the new E3 and the game awards are the end. Of, like he, he comes in three parts, the, the Keeley trilogy um, uh, that we get throughout the year. Um, you know, like between that and then every publisher also wanting to do their own thing. Like Gamescom is where if, if you're, you're just getting the tiny treats and they're not even, there's not even much there. Even like Alan Wake 2, end of the show. It looked awesome. Yeah. It was just like a trailer that sold, otherwise. Guys, I don't yeah. like just. I mean, look, what? I want to hear the hiss just as much as anybody. Like that's, <laughs> I, I do. I do. Um, but, um, and Scratch being back, we all, we all love Scratch. Um, but uh, <laughs> it felt like we were getting scraps. And it was like, it was two hours. I guess at some point, yeah. God, I was like, I was supposed to go do other work. God, what is how this going late to were you end? editing the HOA? Huh? How late were you editing the HOA? Oh, I didn't start the edit until, when did I message you, Patrick? Yeah, you messaged me at 1130 your time. So yeah. that's a little when did, when did you? <laughs> when did it get go up? It, it went up this morning. I, I, I mean, it was late at enough like that I three? scheduled it. I, okay. <laughs> it was late enough that I scheduled it for the morning instead of being. I felt like, so bad because like Jeff was just awake. Jeff was just holding his hostage. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. just like you are going to. I am going to congratulate these creators on their awesome assets <laughs> and their IP. He said, "Oh, hold on. We have to do not watch this. Do not watch this presentation. I haven't watched a single do not minute. under no I'm so circumstances. Happy I, I, yes. I have not. I, I have not seen oh. a single fucking second of footage y'all are talking about. And, and I'm so much better. For and there's some trailers that are worth checking out in isolation but as a package um i usually broadly really enjoy taking the piss out of these things with whatever you know uh whether it's you or whatever you know outlets have been within the past like it's a fun way to go through the the commercial gauntlet and this one just so little material to work with and then there was a moment where not yes keely loves the word ip tell us about this new ip ah you're announcing a new ip and then at one point, I believe is when he was talking to Ed Boon, yeah. to where Ed Boon is hyping up like, "Oh, this new trailer is sick, is twisted," and he's like, "Ah, oh, roll us that beautiful bean footage." I mean, asset, and like he said the word asset, which is a a term you hear all the time 
in emails with public relations people because it is how they broadly will talk about like, hey, here's a code for a game. Here are assets, screenshots, uh, press releases, B-roll, like totally normal term to use in an email among professionals, not on stage where someone w- ran up on and said, Bill Clinton wants GTA 6, um, like amongst <laughs> a bunch of fans trying to get hype for Zack Snyder showing up out of nowhere to show a trailer for a movie that I'm not sure anyone wanted to see. It was no, now I do. bizarre. I mean, I do. Yes. I mean, they, they, it, Again, it, it, like a very expensive 40K cutscene. So it, I'm just <laughs> obliged to to watch that. But just an uh, just an oddity of a of a show, um, and just not much to to talk about. There. However, you, of the games we did discover fine. our next co op obsession, Expedition, yeah, a mud yeah, runner we did. game. Fuck yeah, yeah big we did. open nice. world, uh, four wheel four wheel drive vehicles, uh, wet river crossings, <laughs> muddy hills. Oh, I didn't see dunes, but I'll bet they're in there somewhere. I'll bet they're before sand. the dirty boys, and it's wet. Before the dirty boys were cleaning stuff off. Well, now they're just hopping in their big trucks and getting in the mud. Yeah, grab that six-pack, buddy, and let's fly with a winch and see where it takes us. Let's crack a few and operate this heavy <laughs> machinery, brother. <laughs> well, I, if, if people, uh, people who are listening, if um, they didn't announce when that game is coming out, they just said 2024. And I know there are a bunch of games in this genre, the snow runners uh, and and the like, but if there is one that you think would fit the dirty boys between now and then. Uh, please hit us up in your uh, form of communication of choice. I'd be curious to know which ones you think fit. I'm just deeply unfamiliar with the the genre, and I know there's a bunch of them, and they're very popular. If you think there's one that fits the dirty boys while we wait for Mud Runner to appear, please, uh, please let us know. I also felt really bad for Patrick because there was like 30 seconds where he was convinced there was a new Quake coming or a Quake remaster. <laughs> And it just turned out to be a different strong-looking Kill- monster from yeah. Killing Floor. Yeah. Killing Floor 3, coming soon. I mean, it didn't make any sense. QuakeCon just happened, and they just announced that Quake 2 remaster, or it came out. Um, and I'm, I kind of want I kind of want to play that. Uh, yeah. I really liked Quake 2 when it came when it came out. Um, I didn't play... I, Quake 4 was the super narrative Call of Duty-style one that they put out um, that id Software didn't make, right? It was... Um, a different developer did Quake 4? Am I, am I right? It's, it might be. No, they did... Mm, no. There's, no that, was, there's also that was much later. That was much later. But somebody, there was also this is around the time of Rage. And there was also Enema Territory Quake Wars. That also came out around Those the same time. Those are splash time. damage games, right? Correct. Uh, uh, no, you were right. Rob, Raven Software. It always keeps coming back to Raven. We are going to... Sometime <laughs> this fall, we are doing a, a series of streams... And I am playing everything that Raven Software has made. And we're going through the catalog because it's a weird catalog and it doesn't make any sense. And we're going to blow off some kneecaps and soldier of fortune. And it all came God from intended. Wisconsin. It all oh came from God. Wisconsin. Milwaukee, I think. Um, or at least whereabouts. Yeah. Uh, Maybe Madison. Might be wrong on that. All right. So uh, there's there's a few more games things we want to talk about. We should take a break here. And when we come back, you're actually going to listen to... Uh, I'll talk, like I think Patrick will be there. I'm not sure how the schedule is going to work out, but uh, we're going to be talking to the uh, 404 gang, also known as the X Motherboard uh, crew, Our, also known as the saviors of uh, Remap, the, the reason Remap exists. 
Yeah. Uh, so our friends uh, like Jason Kebler, Emmanuel Myberg, uh, Sam Cole, and Joseph Cox uh, left Vice and have started a new media venture uh, called 404. And it is them doing the type of work they're really good at doing with, with Motherboard, uh, but now not working for a company as disastrous, as disastrously as managed as Vice's. Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking to them about that and also just kind of catch up on what that last month or so was like at Vice after, <laughs> uh, af- after we departed. So stick around. All right. And now we are joined by our friends from, well, I guess formerly of Motherboard, now of 404 Media, uh, Jason Kebler, Manuel Myberg, Sam Cole, and Joseph Cox. Uh, gang, welcome to the show. Thank you. So very happy to be here. Hello. <laughs> Should we have attached a, re- a media to ours, Rob? Did we screw up? Should it have been Remap Media? Because it sounds cool. Like remap media, it implies so much. There was brand consistency though with the radio thing, so That's we true. were radio is media. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's all right. So Fair enough. I'm convinced that was that was the play. Uh, so yeah, let's start off with obviously. Um, so we haven't worked at Vice in a minute. How's it been? What what happened after we left? Should <laughs> we talk about how you left? I know you're you. I know that you're. Um, Listeners probably know this, but I guess from from my perspective, how -hmm. you left, I because I I wasn't expecting you to. I would love to hear this (laughs) from your perspective of telling me it's cool. You can tell your wife you're not going to lose your job, and then HR saying, "Uh "Aha, I disagree." (laughs) So I learned maybe like the night before that there were going to be layoffs at Vice, and. In the morning, well, I was told it's not going to affect your team because Motherboard had done layoffs a few months prior, and I knew that that was going to happen, and that was very painful, but I, I knew that it was going to happen. And there was, like, in in full transparency, there was, like, a discussion of, like, Fortress is, like, doesn't know what Waypoint is, and they're trying to, like, figure out what's going on there. But like, there's this other bigger problem, which was sort of come came out in the bankruptcy documents of like, there's not money to run Vice World News anymore, which was nominally the part of the company that we all worked for. And so I learned that there were going to be layoff, like pretty bad layoffs on Vice World News across the news team. But because Motherboard, which at the time encompassed Waypoint as well, was doing well and we had already done layoffs they were like your team's good this isn't about y'all this is not going to affect your team and i was like can i tell my team that so that they're not freaking out the entire morning they're like yeah like tell them that they're fine and then i went (laughs) and i had a meeting with you know the 15 or 16 of us and i was like hey guys it's gonna be a hard day this is like a speech I've given like a thousand times because there have been a thousand layoffs at Vice and it's always terrible to see your talented colleagues lose their jobs. But there's sort of this, there's like a group trauma that occurs anytime that there's layoffs where it's like, okay, this is happening to me when like sometimes you didn't 
lose your job. And it's like that that's happened a few times where it's like, oh no, this is like really terrible. But then there's people who actually lost their jobs and it's like, well, let's not make this about us because it's other people losing their jobs. So that's basically the speech that I gave. And then like five minutes later, Patrick and Rob chat me and Emmanuel and they're like, hey guys, we just lost our job. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And then I believe I was like, can you check with Cotto and Ren? And they're like, yeah, like they, they lost their jobs too. And I was just like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by this? And like, we got an email saying we lost our jobs. Position has been terminated. Thus began the next, the longest 30 minutes of Rob and I's lives. As Jason said, I'm going to invest. It was like 90 minutes, but go on, like Jason, go on. So go on. So I was like, okay, like, let me like check, like, wh- like what? Like, let me like, uh, raise my hand and be like, hello, what, what has happened here? So I went to my boss and my boss's boss. And I was like, so like waypoint folks just said that they lost their jobs. Uh, y'all said that wasn't going to happen. And kind of like, they were like, what? Like they were also surprised by this. So then they went and they're like, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. And then they called me in a manual and they're like, so like waypoint, like got added to the list, the list being like the layoff list, like at the last minute, either by accident or by like someone <laughs> at fortress, like unclear, <laughs> like just, oh I gotta be clear. We don't know any of this. Like Rob and I are learning this in real time. <laughs> I feel like I told you this. I feel the like the idea that it could have been an accident. Is, is new information to me. <laughs> Just like extremely unclear, like what happened. Like, don't know, but like a hundred people have lost their jobs today. And like in this chaos, like they have been looped into this thing. And I was like, okay, well that's bad for a variety of reasons, like a million reasons that's bad, but also it's bad because I just told them that they weren't going to lose their jobs. And I had known that it was a possibility that at some point they were going to want to shut our waypoint, but that was not going to happen imminently. And it was like, let's deal with it later. And by deal with it, it was like, let's talk to Patrick and Rob. Let's like figure out a path forward. Let's figure out like what the plan is. I mean, that's my whole seven waypoint. years advice though. Right. Is, is, is being like, at some point they're going to shut us the fuck down. And then just suddenly whoop, it was almost seven years later. And then it finally did happen. Well, we didn't talk by about it. <laughs> right. We didn't talk about it for the reason of like, I didn't talk, bring this up with you two because it's mm. like, if I had a nickel for every time that they were like, oh yeah, like we might fire everyone. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just right. like, it's not right. real till it is. And then, right. then it's like, okay, like, let's talk about this, but that, that never happened. And then they were like, okay, they can't undo it. <laughs> they were like, they can't undo it. And I was like, okay, well then like, I feel like I have to quit like right now because that's really bad. Like that's very, very bad. And like, if I can't, manage my team. I just told them this. I like yelled at them, but to like no effect, like no one was like happy that this happened. But one of the big themes is that fortress and the board is like this cloud of like, it's an amorphous ever shifting group that there's no like 
one to talk to. There's no one to like make your case to. Mm -hmm. Um, And thus, and then, then they were kind of like, we're going to give them like 30 days or like 35 days or something. And I was at that point, I was kind of like, well, it seems like Fortress has made up their mind. There's no one to appeal to. And then I instantly shifted to like, how can we get them their subscribers? Um, sort of knowing that the company didn't seem like it was in a great place. Uh, and so I was basically like, okay, clearly there's like nothing that I can do. I could possibly quit on the spot right now, but I was like, I don't even know where that would leave anyone else. Like, I don't know. I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. whatever. And then to your great credit, and this is like above and beyond, but y'all were kind of like, it's okay. We're not mad at you. And that, that brought down, like, I was still very mad to be clear, but I like brought my anger level down and to the point where I was like, kind of like can't quit my job with no right this second. <laughs> well, I think uh, Rob, like, Rob and I, those 90 minutes through a, a spectrum of emotions. And then, you, you or Manuel, like whenever a group DM in Slack said, hey, can we get on a call and pasted a Google Meet? And Rob and I immediately said to each other, oh, we are definitely we're losing cooked. our jobs. We're like, we're gone. Like if it was an accident, they would have just sent, it would could have just been an email. It was just like, hey guys, everything's cool now. And so by that time we had processed everything in those 90 minutes and we're talking about what we could do in the future. And so I felt like we were able to, in that meeting, sort of just like, we knew that it wasn't the two of you and that like let you emotionally off the hook for what was a, a monstrous situation that in many ways, like the emotions of that allowed you to set other things in motion to get us to a place where we're frankly, where we all are. Um, like a lot of like that moment sets in motion remap and, you know, four for media as, as it exists now. But, you know, I mean, so we we go off and we launch this thing, and part of what you always worry about when you're when you're leaving a place, uh, well, we were being shown the door, but also we were sort of uh, <laughs> boarding a a lifeboat, and you do wonder about like, okay, like we are heading off into the unknown, but we are leaving a burning ship. You know what I mean? Like the the this thing is just this thing is on fire. It is adrift. Uh, to your point about. I would say even like before Fortress is fully in the picture, this company for a long time has felt like there's sort of amorphous, unaccountable leadership where things are just happening. And it's like, ah, here's a new reality. And so, I've, you know, never more than more than ever before, as we were as, as we started launching this thing, I was kind of sitting there being like, I have no idea what the future looks like for the folks still there because, yeah, they still have a job. But also, nothing looks good about where the company is at, and you know, obviously, over you know the next the the ensuing weeks, we get into the the bankruptcy stuff and the fact that everyone's severance went into the ether, um, not bonuses, but severance, and we'll talk about that in a second because I guess that's that's gonna be a thing part of your story uh, here. But yeah, we you know as we were sort of heading off here, and and it, it became clear that we were actually going to manage to salvage something from this and launch it. Suddenly, I think the sort of concern flipped for us, and it was like, okay, we have we have a lifeline, we have a we have a life raft uh, that that we can that we can use to get off this thing. What's going to happen to the folks who are still working at this company? And so I'm curious, you just talk to me about like 
you know, motherboard has for ages been the safe harbor and been one of the sort of the flagships of uh, Vice News and one of the most successful brands within the company, both like in terms of performance and also maintaining an identity uh, through a lot of shifts in corporate strategy. And so I think, there, you know, we always had the sense that whatever happens to this company, motherboard is the place to be. Motherboard will kind of protect you and the, the, the company can't can't touch it, can't wreck it as as much did that start to feel like it had changed uh you know as the bankrupt like as stemming from this and as it had in the bankruptcy uh proceeding like how much did the did the feeling of working advice like change from what's been historically because you know i think we're all here at this point we ended up being long, like long timers um i think i don't know if you will find it surprising but the problem for me might be the opposite in that definitely the feeling of working there changed dramatically, but the feeling in a sense, the motherboard is safe, hasn't changed. And I think it's actually true today. You know, I think it is a safe place to be at the company. It's a great website. The people who work there are great. And during the bankruptcy process, and after you were laid off, it started to dawn on me, like, Patrick, you said you worked at the company for seven years, and you felt the entire time like the other shoe was going to drop. And I definitely know what that feeling is like. But what started to dawn on me <laughs> is the opposite, which is I will never get laid off, possibly. It's like I could <laughs> stay here forever. And that is frightening also <laughs> the vampire's curse because yeah because yeah. At, at some point because what does that right. mean right like what are you doing right there like what are you accomplishing personally with like yourself your team like the work you're doing like a job is a job and looking the state of things like that can be enough but th that can also grate on you day after especially if you start looking like i might be here in 10 years doing the same shit right and we all come from like the same generation of media workers where we enter the market at this really peak of precarity in the job market and newspapers are collapsing and dot coms have collapsed. And, uh, it just seemed like there was no hope. So any paycheck is a huge win and you're thinking about your life paycheck to paycheck. And then it becomes quarter to quarter and year to year and you're surviving and that feels like success. And, you know, Eight years go by, 10 years go by, and you're like, this is actually my life. This isn't like I'm surviving and um, I'm publishing the stories I want to publish and, and like we get to live another day. It's like, no, this is, this is, this is, this is a big chunk of my life now. And it could be the whole thing. It could be like a major part of it, a major part of my career, most of my career. Um, and I had to process that. And that was very difficult. Um, like, I think I went personally through like a deep, deep period of mourning, uh, realizing that for many reasons, my time at motherboard has come to an end. And I was hoping that it would happen for me. I would hope, I was hoping that somebody would tap me on the shoulder and be like, it's done. 
and you need to go. And here's some money. You can, here's you can rest. rest. You can rest. Yeah, I was always. I mean, we joked about it, and it's it's like perverse, but we're like, yeah, tap you on the shoulder and like shoot you in the I, head, and it's over. I yeah. always said, that I, whenever like I was talking to people on, on on the team and stuff, I was like, when it goes down, it's gonna go down like the ending of The Sopranos. It's just gonna be cut to black. You're not gonna feel a thing. It's gonna be real easy. And I was I was waiting for that, and I was waiting for the money that comes along with that, so I can then like look for a new job and decide what I want to do with my life and all of that. And mm-hmm. um. It was very difficult to come to terms with the fact that I was going to have to do it. Um, and that has sort of been like emotionally the journey that has happened since you all left. And obviously along the way, we can discuss like specific things, but things kept pushing me out. Uh, specific revelations in the bankruptcy proceedings and so on. Well, that's what happened to Waypoint though, right? It's like you you were like, were, I mean... All of us were like existentially worried about like, is this company going to keep supporting this cool thing? Is this company going to keep supporting this really cool thing? And then literally I'm like, okay, guys, don't worry about it. And then like you get an email and like, it's done. Goodbye. And then they're like, we're going to keep you around for 30 days so you can talk shit about the company and plan your life, which is like, <laughs> yeah, that was like official <laughs> platforms, yeah, um, which happened to like kind of a lot of people across Vice News. They're like, you're laid off today, but, uh, you can keep working here until the end of August. And it was like back in May or something. And I was like, I don't quite understand this, but you know, it's fine. We move past it. But it's like, I also was like, this is going to be like someday someone is just going to kill us. And then as Emmanuel said, it's like, we're going to have to make like a proactive decision at some point. Um, I want to talk to like about some of the steps like toward that. Cause like Sam, I know that you're really involved with the union. And so to an extent, the start of this process of like winding down an awful lot of vice and firing a bunch of people who work there, it from the outside, it certainly seemed like, okay, the union has always been sort of a like, you know, second shift type thing. But now it feels like, being part of the union is now going to once again, it's going to be one of those phases where it takes on a life of its own. And it's now grown in terms of what yeah. you have to do uh, because the company's not yeah. communicating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so much of being in the union, especially being on committee. Um, and you, you were in some of these meetings, Rob, it's like, you just get a really stark look at the way the company thinks of you. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're hearing from lawyers who, don't really give a shit. You're hearing from HR people who are telling you nothing. He's kind of getting stonewalled. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's become so much of your job. That's not your job. It's like, it's not, I'm not getting paid to be in the union. It's stuff I'm doing. And I'm doing time theft against vice <laughs> to be, you know, that was like the best <laughs> part of being in the union is being like, I'm going to spend my, my hours on the clock fucking with vice from the inside, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> So and yeah. also legally protected, legally protected. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's just like, you know, I was doing my, my job and then also doing the union as a job. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really, I mean, it's, it's really radicalizing being in the union. It's really exhausting. I think in a way that a lot of people don't realize from the outside. Um, and it's also like, you're like, I mean, to the point of like, just waiting for that, like shot in the back of the head, it's like. I was waiting and I was hanging on. I was like, I'm going to ride this thing to the ground because I need the severance. Like I need the severance. I've been here almost six years. I'm going to get a decent amount of money when they lay me off, if they ever lay me off. But it was like, 
they're never going to lay me off. Like I, I would like to just walk in front of this gun and let them do it, but like they won't. <laughs> Where's the gun? It's going to union find yeah, out please, where the gun like, yeah. is. <laughs> um, and like, I was like, that's never going to happen. And also like, if it did happen, there wouldn't be, it didn't seem like there was going to be that safety net. And there hasn't been for a lot of people. Like the advice is, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about this on the pod already, but it's like, you know, it's, it's so much money being withheld from people that they're contractually owed. Yeah, we've gotten um, we've gotten none of it, you know. Right, we've exactly. A, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, like we, we've gotten a, you know, we, we were fortunate to get this kind of nest egg with our subscribers and pick up, but we yeah. all had like the summer of Patrick was supposed to happen. Um, I was <laughs> exactly. going to, I, I truly like, I it was like us, like my kids are out of school, like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy, like I'm going to just like disconnect, and yeah. instead it was just a sprint while shit talking my employer in our newsletters and podcasts and then setting up what's next, which sounded like a lot of what all of y'all were probably doing like in, in this, in a similar period, just a few months later. Well, yeah, exactly. And you you mentioned there, Patrick, just the, the summer Patrick thing in retrospect, because I know when it became clear that like memberful was regardless of what vice was going to do, memberful will be willing to help facilitate us getting back on our feet and like spinning up, the machine again we had like there was a bit of there's a little part of us that was like well i know that people are paying attention to us now and we'd probably be smart to launch this but like we could have the summer of severance and the summer (laughs) of comfort and just like take that vacation because this is you don't get vacations anymore what you get is laid off and like a chance to actually like live for a little bit and so we could and we you know we obviously that would have been really destructive if we'd done that because the severance never showed up and, and and may never show up but uh, there was this feeling of like, all right, just got fired. Time to again go back to doing like two jobs of like setting up the new thing and then and then preparing it. But Sam, you mentioned like you know wanting to step in front of the gun. Uh, now my understanding yeah. is that Joseph damn near did step in front of the gun by doing a journalism on. He Vice. tried it. <laughs> uh, Joseph, can you tell us a little bit like. So if people don't know, like I mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago when you posted that info about executive bonuses on Twitter, I went like a week long spiral because it's like discovering the people who did did, like the did the horrible thing to you are like thriving and it's all worked out really, really well for them. Uh, But also, I'm just curious, like from from your perspective, it seems like it was partly like, you know, you came across this info and you're like, people need to know about this. But also, it seems like it was also tied to working conditions for doing journalism advice have become comically untenable uh, in a lot of ways. So I'm curious if you can just talk through, like, tell us about, like, how, how your little investigative uh, hit on, on Vice came together and what the reaction was. Yeah, I grabbed the gun. I took it from them. <laughs> like, Give it to me! <laughs> um, yes, so let me set it up with that day. I was trying to do my job by looking up court records, which is something I do every day. You know, I have little scripts and that sort of thing, which alert me when there's new interesting court cases, that sort of thing. And you go and you pay five or 10 cents to load the court record. And as is often the case, or has happened a fair bit, you try to log in and it says, sorry, Vice News, Pacer account, you have not, you have not paid the bill. You can't do this. Uh, in the past, we've just paid it ourselves. I think I expensed it, you know, but at that point it was like, are these expenses even going to be paid? So I fail at that. 
and then I go about my day. Um, so I'm trying to do my job and Vice's decisions of not pay, of not paying their bills are getting in the way of that. Uh, I would actually like to hear the next bit from Emmanuel, if you don't mind, because he was there the moment I found out about the salaries. He told me, and I would love to hear it from his perspective, because I think his memory will might be a little bit more vivid than mine, because I basically, I, I blacked out. <laughs> I saw a haze. I, I can't really remember what happened. So Emmanuel, like, can you just describe what happened when you told me? I mean, Rob, would you be surprised to learn that the video game Battlefield 2042 plays a critical role in the saga? I would actually be very surprised to learn the video game battle. <laughs> First of all, people are still playing. Uh, look, I know people have come back to it and they're always better than I got credit for being, but I am shocked to hear <laughs> that this is playing any kind of role in any story in 2023. But but tell me more. Well, the Warzone boys, <laughs> a.k.a. the Battlefield boys, now play Battlefield Three like multiple multiple times a week and it's sort of how we unwind like we finish our work day we hop on battlefield you know we fly our jets we we drive our tanks we we own noobs etc um and we just kind of shoot the shit so we were playing and i was like hey uh joe have you seen this document with all the executive salaries and he was like no and i was a bad team player and all tabbed and just like rattled off. I was like, this person made this much and this person made that much. And that was their bonus. And that was their bonus. And I'm just imagining Joe, like in the cockpit of a jet, like getting increasingly mad. Um, so we, we kind of like, wow, that's really crazy. And we were yelling and shouting about it. And then I logged Joe off. Joe goes the most epic kill streak in Battlefield <laughs> right. recorded history. Yeah, I turned um, those. Ra- I turned the rage into headshots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, we finished. We're like, wow, that's really crazy. Okay, talk to you later. And I went and I made dinner, and like made dinner, ate dinner, and then I picked up my phone and I saw a message from Joe, and he was like, I think I'm going to tweet about this. And I went to go text him and be like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should think about this. Like, let's have a conversation. And then the next, I, I scroll down to the next message from him. He was like, I just did it. Um, and I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Um, and I was, I was a little startled, but also very proud of Joe, um, because I think, um, I don't know, it, it just like, we were all very mad and it needed to be said and he said it. And I think, um, it meant, I think a lot to people that it came from him because he's not on, on Twitter beefing and, and, and airing our dirty laundry often. Um, so I think people took notice that he was really pissed and for good reason. Yeah, I was at the end of my tether, basically. I was already thinking of leaving Vice and then just seeing that in black and white, these salaries, it just, I mean, it's different when you see it right in front of you, right? You hear about your colleagues talking about, oh, there's a lot of waste at the company. Oh, it's very mismanaged and that's very abstract. But then when you see these executives raking in hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars and I can't do my fucking job, <laughs> well, right. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. So how did that go over, reporting on the company that way? Uh, well, the Daily Mail loved it. Uh, the New York Post loved it as well. Um, look, obviously, I kept a professional. I just declined to comment to these outlets yeah. when they reached out mm-hmm. to me. Uh, but there was something of 
a firestorm, a lot of people reaching out from Vice, as Emmanuel suggested, like, hey, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Um, I think it spooked maybe some of management, maybe other people's recollection of that's a little bit better than mine if they want to talk about that. But look, I'm not, I'm not going to bloody claim that like, oh my God, look, look what I did. I helped the company. No, I was mad and I went to Twitter. <laughs> that's, that, that's the end yeah. of it. It felt very good for me and it was my catalyst. It was my crystallizing moment. Uh, and it's certainly part of the story of why we're here, or at least why I'm here. Um, but I, I hope that, you know, uh, I hope it pissed off other people as well. And I think it did. I have a different, not like a different perspective on this just because not a different perspective. It It's like, it was a very important moment for all of us and for the whole newsroom, because it's like, not only was it like, Hey, these numbers are really high. Um, we knew that they would probably be high, but they were like very high, but there's part of it where it's like, as a manager, it's like, I know how much everyone on the team makes. There were people on our team who were like, this person needs a raise. They deserve a raise. They need a raise. Vice hasn't done raises this year. And I think that they did some last year, but like not as much as they were going to. And it's like every day me and Emmanuel like log on and at, at Vice and we're like, we need to make right by the people who are like doing really important work and deserve a raise and deserve promotions and deserve to be able to download documents off a of pacer and so on and so forth. And it's like, I did my best as a person to facilitate that. Um, but there's like really only so many times that you can say, Hey, this person's like, my team needs a hire. Um, Motherboard has not hired anyone since we hired Renata, which was on Waypoint. And then before that, it was Edward and Lauren, who are two fantastic journalists who had an entire story arc at Vice and then left Vice and were not replaced. And it's like they had an entire career in between the time that we were able to like get another entry level hire. Um and as sort of like the manager of, of a team that is, is and has been very successful, it's like everyone says how much they care about motherboard and how good we're doing, but then there's no like hires to back that up. And it, it's very weird to go from managing a team of 22 people to manage a team of 18 people to managing a team of 16 people to managing a team of 12 people, so on and so forth. And it's like, no one was ever like, Hey, you have to do more with less like that. That is something that, um, didn't really happen at vice. They were very much like we're cutting costs. So like our expectations are going to go down. Um, but like we continue to do fantastic work. The, t the people who are still there continue to do fantastic work. Our stuff is being turned into, you know, documentaries and like being used to sort of like feed other parts of the company, which, other parts of the company do really great work too. I'm not here saying like, oh, we're the only ones who need to hire, but it's like that across the entire company. And so it's like, okay, this is, this is crazy. And then you see these executive salaries and it's like, huh, like one bonus would solve our 
our team's problems. It's like, it would have, it would give the people we need to give raises to raises. We could open an entry level position. It would improve morale. Like we would be able to just keep doing what we're doing, which we all love doing and are proud to do. And we were like unable to do that. Um, so on that, on that front, there's like, that's crazy. And I'll make this next part short. It's like, I don't blame any one person at Vice. I don't blame any one executive. This is not personal. This is not about any one person. It's like a series of decisions made over the course of three decades at this incredibly complex company. And it's like maybe like any number of the individual decisions can probably be justified. It's like taking on VC money to do this project, then doing that project, then doing this project. But when the bankruptcy was announced, there's a bunch of documents that came out and it's like, you see some, how the company is structured and it looks like a fucking QAnon thing where it's like, there's like 9 million subsidiaries in all of these different countries with all these different leases, with all of this like stuff. And it's just like, no matter how successful I am as a middle manager at this company, it's like, can't fix it. Can't fix their problems. And so like no one person ever fucked with us. No one person ever was like, don't do that story. We were given total editorial freedom. Like I don't have bad things to say about individual people there, but it's like the whole, like the company as a whole is so messy that it was just like, look, I'm very tired. I've been here for 10 years. I'm very, very tired. Um, and I just want to try something else. And that's like, that's what happened with me, I guess. Um, I, I, I just want to add to that. We are all adults. We are all have been union members, have bargained for contracts, have gone through multiple rounds of layoffs. We're reporters. We report on other companies. It's like, we understand how this works and we, we know that it's not fair and that the people at the top make a lot more than uh, the workers. But it's hard to describe the impact of seeing the numbers. It's like, Rob, Patrick, think about the amount of conversations you've had over a, I don't know, $10,000 raise, $8,000 raise, a $50,000, not 50, but like $70,000 higher, a three-month paternity leave, vacation, um... I was saying the other day in union negotiations, when you're bargaining for a contract, you know, when you finish, the guild says like overall, all our wins combined, they're equal this amount. You know what I mean? You're like, wow, look at all that we've accomplished. It's like we rallied and we fought for higher pay and better benefits. And altogether, it's worth like, you know, $3 million or something like that. You're like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like, look at us. And it's like those amounts and those conversations, every time you have them, they're like, listen, there's no money. They're like, there's no money. Media is brutal. Google is killing us. The ad market is dying. You know, the the, the industry is shifting. It's just like, we, we're sorry. There's just no money. You know, it's like we've been through situations at the company during COVID where it's like people took pay cuts. You know what I mean? It's like people who were making, you know, not that much money <laughs> took pay cuts and, and, and you're all in it and you're all trying to 
to do it because you believe in the work. And even though you understand how the business works, I guess part of you just are like, believe that like, oh yeah, there's no money. And then you see the salaries and you're like, you know what? It's like, we're not even, it's like, I'm thinking, I think I'm playing one game, but it's like, I'm, I'm, they're playing a completely different game. And that's when I was like, there is no amount of work that I can do and money that I can make for the company that will correct that imbalance even remotely. So you just kind of throw your hands up and, and, and try to do something else. I mean, I, I definitely like when I saw those numbers, both the just annual comp and then the bonus numbers, it was just like really eye opening, especially because the story that we were sold for years of layoffs was that we were clawing our way toward profitability. You know, we need to cut the losses. And the impression you get is that like the margins are getting pretty thin in terms of like the company's not losing money that badly. Like we're, we're almost there, et cetera. And you add up millions of dollars of executive compensation and you're like, is that, is that really the difference here? Is, you know, is that the, 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 the gap between sustainability and not the fact that, you know, I mean, Jason, I'm, I'm like, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Like a lot of executives were also handed bags of shit in various ways uh, over the years at, at vice. But at the same time, like I also don't feel like anybody, uh, you know, generated above replacement numbers in terms of executive acumen. Uh, and, and so like, you know, you look at it and it's, it's like, did we really need to pay these, you know, this amount to these people given, you know, what, what leadership appeared to be able to add uh, in value to this, to this company uh, versus the lead anchor that these kind of numbers end up, you know, acting as uh, when you're talking about the health of a newsroom and like, just basic function of services you can use and the ability to, you know, get the hires you need to operate. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, just like very briefly, it's like we went through like the turnover at the executive level while the, while I was there, it's like entire new C-suite, entire new C-suite again, entire new like VP, different sales, different strategies, different everything. And it's like, each time this happens, there's like a cost of doing that. It's like, there's a layoff, there's a restructure, there's a new plan. That plan is enacted for anywhere between three months and three years. More often than not, it's like, oh, we're going to try this for like five minutes. And then we're going to completely try something totally different. And the person who enacted that plan is leaving. So like, sorry. Um, and it's like, that happened one million times. And that is impossible to out, like out. Yeah, you can't outperform say, it. You yeah, can't, right, yeah, right. You, you, you can't, like, Motherboard's going to have the biggest year ever, gang. And it's going to make up for the fact that Vice hit reset on the strategy that uh, it put into place a year ago and has already cost millions to, to execute and they're giving up. Uh, so I guess, you know, that leads us to, well, what if you could be your own media company? And I'm I'm kind of curious how you get from that that position of okay it's this is just this is getting unsustainable like there's there's just too much too much dead wood you're attached to in terms of like what the leadership of the company is doing uh there there's they're hamstringing you uh you know too much how do you get from there to starting 404 but also in the process like walking away from motherboard like everyone who worked at motherboard was a See, like always seemed enormously proud of motherboard. Like it was 
one of the few places at Vice where I think people were genuinely proud to work and proud of the work they were doing. Uh, I think there were a lot of folks elsewhere in the company that's like, it's a paycheck and I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just waiting to get fired. But motherboard was, was a place where there's always a lot of like pride in the work y'all were doing. And it can't be easy to leave something like that. Uh, and it can't be any easier to leave it for the unknown of like starting something new. I can't believe I quit my job at motherboard. It makes me sad. It makes me kind of sad. I mean, it's like I'm going through a grief process that I think Emmanuel's already been through. <laughs> um, but yeah, get, like turning in my resignation to like if like there are no dream jobs, but like this is about as close as it could get um, and being like, I quit. That's crazy. I wake up in cold sweats about it. Um, <laughs> but no, like no regrets, no regrets either. It's like, <clears throat> um, I think just the conversations that we've had, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but it's like you know, you look around and you're like, the media landscape is kind of fucked. Um, it's, you know, do we want to go work somewhere else? It's kind of like, can you go work somewhere else? Can you go work somewhere else? Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's like out of the pan into the fire situation. Do we want to just go get normal jobs? Do we want to be like normies and go work somewhere else? We, that's to be seen. We might still have to do that. (laughs) Um, just kidding. Four for media is nothing but to the moon. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's terrifying to leave a, a, I don't want to say a stable paycheck because it was never that. Um, it was. But it showed up in various forms. It still showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, it was getting like, more and more like, is that going to keep happening? But yeah, it's it feels crazy. Um, but it's also it's like Emmanuel said. It's like I'm someone personally who like change is hard and like making that jump. I I need someone else to kick me off a ledge in a lot of cases. And no one was ever going to do it. So I think doing it together helped a lot. You know, we all just kind of held hands and jumped off a cliff. So it was very, it was very similar for us. I was, yeah. uh, Rob knows, I was deeply apprehensive about going down the route that we were. I liked, look, sometimes the paycheck goes down, sometimes the paycheck goes up. But the paycheck shows up and I can manage my life around that. And I was really anxious about jumping into the unknown ourselves and like Rob just kind of pulled me aside. I was like, I'll do a lot of this heavy lifting. Like we do this with me. I was like, yes, my brother. Yes. I will. Thank <laughs> you. But like, I needed someone to be like, look, I understand this is scary. Like we'll walk through this together. And then like we figured, figured it out. Um, and, and now we're here, but it is really, especially when you're jumping into that unknown, starting something yourself from scratch. Um, to have other people doing it with you, like even if you yeah, regularly entertain that it might not work out. Well, it's like, well, I'd rather flame out with a bunch of people that I like working with and do something where we really shot for the true dream job. Right. Like I feel like Vice, yeah. where, even where we were at Waypoint was like people broadly left us alone, too. And it was dreamish in that capacity. But it's still like surrounded by bullshit. And it's like, well, can I invent the dream job and reduce or at least introduce new bullshit might be might be what it is. But, you know, you can at least you conceive of it yourself. And doing that with people, I think, is enormously helpful. Exactly. Yeah, we're taking turns having mental breakdowns for sure. <laughs> like we're not allowed to have one all at the same time. And so far we haven't. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. every it's like, you know, you like one of us falls in the field and we're like, OK, let's keep going. You know, um, so yeah, it's, but you know, nothing, nothing too major yet. I don't think it's just launch was so high pressure 
think finally getting to that, we all feel much better. Hitting the button, hitting the button <laughs> helps. But like before you hit that button, I mean, like we like we are both running two different media companies, right? Like we're like very much in sort of like podcasting and streams and y'all want to do have a podcast. Like there are things people can get, but like broadly, like you, you want to do reporting. Like when you were thinking about what is this going to be, as you conceive, like what do we all want to do? Like just on a baseline of like, what is the DNA of 404 or what becomes 404 eventually? Like, what were those conversations like? Was it like, let's just take motherboard out of it? Or is it, what are the lessons from motherboard and turn it into this new thing? So this is not motherboard 2.0, but at the same time, we're not fundamentally changing who we are as people or journalists. It's not like, like, I think we had a model at motherboard that worked I think that motherboard will continue to have a model that works. Um, for me, it's like when I got my job as the editor-in-chief of motherboard, Derek Mead, my previous boss, got promoted and made that space for me to take that job. And it's like Jordan Pearson, who we've all worked with for a long time, is getting a chance to step up and lead motherboard. And I made the decision basically like, I don't want to see this through to whatever the next version of motherboard is, which is to say, I think that there's a future for motherboard. I think that it will be okay, but I personally wasn't willing to rebuild it again because we've rebuilt it several times. And the thing that made me want to take the jump is that I think y'all know, it's like, I like to write I like to do the journalism, like to file the FOIAs and talk on the podcast and do the editing and stuff. And over the last six months, but really like the last year, I was doing way more admin stuff, which is definitely also part of the job. And I was happy to do, I'm happy to do admin stuff that makes sense, but I was increasingly doing things that like, for example, filling out Excel spreadsheets of debts for the bankruptcy court and like Ooh. helping to put them in the proper like format oh and like <laughs> signing invoices like seven times and like refiling them over and over again. And it became groundhog day where it's like, this is crazy first of all. And it is not journalism. It is not what I like to do. I feel like a forensic accountant. And it's like, I knew that that would be a limited period of time and I was willing to do it. But that limited period of time, like, kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I was just like, I have to go. Like, I just, I have to go. Like, I, I just, like, started feeling, like, in my bones, like, I have to get out. And that's not, like, it definitely weighs on me. It's like, if I stay, like, can I fix it? Can I solve all of these things? Like, you go, like, one day, it's like, maybe I can fix everything. The next day, it's like, there's no way I can fix everything. And then some days it's like, wow, this company is going to die like today. And then the next day it's like, actually, no, it's going to be fine. And I've, I like eventually landed on the idea, like us leaving is going to be hard, but it's going to be fine. It's like the, the people at Motherboard are still a very respected brand. The people there are still doing very good work and they're going to be fine. They're going to be invested in and someone with like more energy needs to do that more energy to like work in the vice machine needs to do that. I know I've talked a lot about vice, but it's like, why 404? Why do this thing? Like I kept thinking like, what would make me happy? What would make me happy? And I was like, Oh, I just want to write again. And then, so 
I was like, maybe I'll do a Substack. And it's like, Patrick, your Substack is great. And you're blogging more than you have in a long time. I think that's fair <laughs> to say. Um, yes, I think that is true. And it, it's fantastic. Um, but it's like, I was like, I can blog, but it's like, I really like working with Emmanuel and Joseph and Sam. And I liked working with everyone, but it's like, if I go off and start a Substack, it's like, maybe that works, but like, who's going to edit me? Like, what if I fuck up? Like, um, and then I was like, okay, well, so maybe I'll get another job. And then I'm like, okay, well, what other job do I want? Because I know a lot of people who work at a lot of different places that do a lot of great work, but it is not, uh, there is almost nowhere else that aligns with my constitution for work, which is to say vice has a lot of red tape, but like nowhere near as much red tape as bigger media companies where it's like, it can take weeks and weeks to do like a simple article for a variety of reasons. And I I just know that that's the case. And it's like, I just don't have the constitution for that. It's like, I like to write the article, make sure it's correct and publish the article and then move on to the next thing. Like that's how I operate. So I was like, there's nowhere else to do that. There's like very few places where you can do that. So it's like, let's just do it ourselves. Like let's, let's do it ourselves. Um, We're all experienced journalists. We know how to do it. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, like, you know, find me in the advertising industry or something. Like, I don't know. I don't know what there's, I don't have a backup plan. I'm committed to making this work, but it's like, before I go and like put myself in marketing or Lord knows what, I don't know what else I would do. But before I like fully quote unquote, give up or retire or go do something else. It's like, let's try it one more time, but we will be responsible if it fails. And that's what's so compelling to me is like, it is our fault if we fuck up and like hire a bunch of people that we don't have the money to hire. Um, It's like, we are very committed to running this company uh, in a sustainable and responsible way. Uh, which is like our, our mantra internally. It's like, can we afford this? <laughs> Do we need this? Um, and, you know, we launched yesterday. This is, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday. We launched yesterday. We certainly can't make ends meet right now. There's no way. Like the numbers are terrifying. Like, don't get me wrong. They're terrifying. Um, but we believe like if we just do really strong work, repeatedly over and over and over again. Like I know we can enough people will be willing to pay for it that it's like we can eat and pay rent and stuff like that. And I don't know, like you guys were really a big inspiration for us as were like other people, but y'all showed it's possible. I know remap is only two months ahead of us or so, but Mm -hmm. it's like, Waypoint Plus really showed us that it's possible. And we didn't have a community in the same way that you did because our podcasts and streams are kind of like a different animal. Uh, Motherboard is never as like interactive as that. But at the same time, like we have people who respect our work and I think it, we've never asked them for money. And so now we are asking people for money. It's not something we do lightly. It's like money is hard to come by. Um, but we, we hope to like prove that we're worth paying for, I guess. Um, and even if it's not worth paying for, for like you, I think it's like, 
worth paying for so that it can exist in the world. Like the impactful journalism can exist in the world. That was a very long monologue for me from me. I'm very sorry for it, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave it there on that answer. I want to, I want to give my reason, but I want to hear Joe's first because I think he, he speaks well about our journalism. As in the reason for why we want to do it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, as I've said elsewhere, at Motherboard, we had editorial independence. Jason and Emmanuel let me do anything to a fault, probably. They would come to me and be like, hey, could you cover this? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. And I think it drove them up the wall, and I'm sorry for that. But they knew in the end that something would come out of it. You know, they knew that I'd do a good piece eventually. Um just very briefly, you know, there was another story I wanted to do recently about hackers and I pitched it uh, to Jason Emanuel. I wanted to get a photographer and I wanted, you know, to do a big splash sort of a New York Times ProPublica style. And they both quite rightly told me Vice will simply not give us the resources for that right now. Like you won't be able to hire a photographer. No way. Now with 404 Media, once we get the money we can decide how to allocate it. If we think it's worth hiring a photographer or whoever for a really interesting piece, well, fuck it, we can just do it. And it will be a better piece of journalism for it. So that's uh, that's the reason I've taken the jump here. And yes, as Sam said, it's terrifying. I woke up literally at 5am today, just shot up in bed, like, oh my God, I've never been more awake in my life. Uh, and just and just, and then I saw Emmanuel was emailing as well. I like check and it's like wait, it's ten past five. And Eman just replied to an email, and I like text him. Yo, you couldn't sleep either. Um, but yeah, we're we're doing it, and I'm happy to. And as Jason said, it we're going to demonstrate that it's journalism worth paying for. That's that's my approach to this. Yeah. So I agree with all of that. I would just describe it slightly differently from my perspective. It's like, Jason, I think, will be able to tell you that it's like the most upset I have been at Vice is when we're not mixing it up. We're not having impact. We're not making changes in the world, Um, which is all true. But sometimes I'm like, I just kind of like want the action. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I want big stories. I want to fuck these companies up. And we have. It's like, we really have. It's like, I, I want to speak directly to your audience and say, because I know how they are. And I know I'm, I'm a fan. I listen. I know what you guys care about. And Motherboard and the people on this call, it's like, we go out there and we do it. It's like, we have made changes at Facebook. We have made changes at Reddit. We have changed the law. We have changed how technology works for the better with our reporting, simply by doing reporting, revealing how these things work, showing the truth. Um, and as Jason said, it's like, there's a world where we go off and we do our separate thing or we go work for different companies. But I think if we rallied and worked together, we can really fuck some people up. Um, and In a super, super non-libelous, non-definitely. <laughs> yeah, I knew you would do it. I, knew it. I mean, that is, that, that is one of those things that 
you know, I chose the Substack that I chose because, and I'm curious, you know, how, where you all fall on that? Because like, that is the thing that sort of spooked me was like being, it's one thing to like freelance a piece for a big institution where they'll have a lawyer, but like, I have to imagine that informs some of your, I'm not saying you're like not going to tell stories you want to tell, but certainly not having the backdrop of lawyers is at least a consideration when you're thinking. We have a very good lawyer. She's very okay. good. Th- th- this is what I'm saying. She's, she's got that dog in her. <laughs> just so everyone knows. Yeah. It's just like, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I, you could go do a substack, and I'm sure it's like, if your substack is successful enough, you get legal protections, but it's like, we needed to get together and get legal protection, get yeah. a lawyer. It's like, right. cause that's the work we do. And that's the work we intend to have do. the it's backup. Like, yeah. Yeah. This is why we're doing it. Um, and this is why we want people to support us. So this work can exist. It's like, none of us come from money. We're not sitting on some pile of savings that we can dig into forever. It's like, we want to do the journalism. We just want to do the work. We just want to make enough money so we can get by and continue doing it. That's it. Like that's, that, that's the goal. And it's like, if it grows and we can have a, a wonderful, huge team and, you know, one day we'll be paying ourselves gigantic bonuses. Um, not Hooray! Really. I mean, yeah, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, we want, we want to grow, but it's like, everything is like slow and metho- methodical and sustainable. And it's like goal one, pay for the journalism, goal two, pay ourselves enough to live and we'll see from there. Yeah. Um, but that's been one of the really rewarding and interesting parts of this has been figuring out how company work. Um, oh, it's like how, oh, how brother. business. Oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, we're two days into the public uh, phase of this business, but I'm like, okay, it's like, this is America, baby. They want things to be easy for entrepreneurs. As in, I was just like, okay, how do I get an LLC thinking that this would be a difficult thing? And it's just like, I went to legal zoom and like six <laughs> minutes later, they're like, here's your business. Um, you know, getting a business bank account was like a little bit trickier because we're, you know, we had no, to it is just tricky. Jump through. Uh, yeah, we, we it's run a little into trickier. that with like, so where, especially like, I'm sure y'all have the same issues where there are privacy concerns. So there are address like, corporate information becomes a matter of public record, but then like all your real stuff has to go to some address and that gets tricky. Cause like ran into this with, with our business where we would run into a lot of moments where it's like, wait though, how can you prove your business is operating out of this address? Which is weird because like this is a very 20th century thing where it's like, well, your business would have an office if it were a real business. And it's like, no, I work on the internet, man. Like it's all just, yeah. it's all like, it's all just happening at my house. Uh, so <laughs> can you just like, can you just give me that bank account? And they're like, no, yeah. <laughs> we actually, do you have like a utility bill for your corporate office? And I'm like, no, but I have a grocery bill for my house. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see some DoorDash receipts? Yeah. Dude, our business is headquartered in a shack in Los Angeles that has it's like sweet eight post mailbox, yep. like seven forty three, and they email me when we get mail there and I need to go get, I need to go like pick up some, I need to go pick up some documents that are like, know your rights as a worker. You must hang these documents in your office to like workplace safety documents that I think are required. Oh, you can stick those in the spokes of your bicycle. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like, I'm going to put that right next to my computer so that I remember uh, not to, like if I slip and fall, 
what number to yeah. call um, and workman's <laughs> comp type stuff. But there is a part of me that's also like, it's so annoying how easy parts of this are, like paying people money. If you think about the the 12 rounds, we would have to go with people advice to get like simple transactions done or the unholy hell you would unleash uh, to, to Joseph's point a moment ago of like, I think a photo spread would be cool for this piece. Wouldn't illustration really class this up? And it's like, we don't, we can't give you illustrators. I know we have them at the company, but no, absolutely not. There's no, no illustrations for you. It's some of the forms. It's like, please send your request uh, to the illustrator and fill out like all of this stuff. And we'll get back to you in five to seven days. And I'm like, I see you sitting over there. <laughs> like I can slack you. It's like, why, why are we going through this process for a picture? There are times I had sympathy for the people in AP oh, where sure. it's like there's a lot of shit they're dealing with and I'm sure they're understaffed, et cetera. But then there are times in starting this where I'm like, this isn't that hard. Like you open bank account, you say pay person, you're done. Well, like, yeah, that's there's it. this thing like net 30, net 60. It's like you file an invoice and then it's paid 30 to 60 days later. And I was like, oh, that must be because it has to like process through some sort of complex system. And then it has to be approved by Lord knows what. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I had in my mind, but I was like, Chase Bank needs to turn the key and approve this. And then now I'm like, oh, wait, you just like click a button and then they get the money that day. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And admittedly, you are like, we're all operating a smaller scale here where it's like, I'm going to pay this person for the work done. Like, you know, there's no payroll company. There's no payroll company in the picture uh, at the moment. But I can imagine that stuff complicates it. But to an extent, there is also this weird, the amount of time tax you would pay advice to make basic things about your job happen. And to suddenly be clear of that, it's like, oh, this was just, you were the, you were the frog in the, in the, in the pot of water where it's like just, you know, it's hard to pinpoint the moment that a bunch of your job became like emailing the same two or three people in accounting and be like, Hey, could you, could you stop stiffing the people we need to get work done? But eventually you get there. Right. And it's also like, Oh, there's a bug in our CMS. Uh Oh. And for us, it's like, okay, let's look at the code and fix it. Or, I mean, we have had so much help along the way. Uh, Aaron Shapiro, who was an ex designer at vice has like, really made our site look very good. So more realistically, we text Aaron and we're like, do you know why this is happening? And he's like, okay, I'll fix it. But there are certain things we can fix ourselves where it's like, huh, like, okay, we just go in the code and like put the correct link and it works. And it's not like a ticket process and a back and forth and all of this. And it's like, maybe people hear this and they're like, okay, like why isn't all business this easy? Um, we haven't done shit yet. It's like, I'm very, I'm very, proud of the journalism that we published even in the first few days. And we're going to, we know how to do the journalism and we're going to keep doing the journalism. It's like, we are not taking for granted that this is going to work and that this is going to be easy and that we're going to be able to hire people and this is going to be successful. It's like, this is independent media. It's like pretty terrifying. Um, but at the same time, there are those things where it's like, huh, okay, just click the button and then it, then it's fixed. That's cool. So uh, to some of that journalism, uh, you know, obviously we got to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is cop slide. 
Uh, so we we all we all love the video of the Boston cop rocketing through a playground slide uh, at about eighty miles an hour and just skittering along the uh, along the pavement at the end of it. Um, but you did, you did sort of FOIA the incident report around that to try to figure out what is going on. And it appears they did they did file some sort of incident report. Uh, but it also looks like just the nature of the forms they're using indicate they have to make it look like there's some sort of suspect involved. Yes. So one, I love the Freedom of Information Act request. It's something I did a lot at Motherboard, something we're going to do a ton of at uh, 404 Media. And... Basically, this is a law where you can ask for any public document you want from any state, municipality, federal government, et cetera. And I've become obsessed with filing requests for state and local stuff because if you file a request with the FBI, it might take three years to get a response. But when you file a request for cop slide in Boston, they're like some, some, like a worker at the police department calls you and they're like, Here's the thing you asked for. Like sometimes it can be a day later. Sometimes it can be a few weeks later. And so in this case, I was like, do you have any body cam footage of cop slide? Like I really wanted a first person view. That's what I was desperately seeking. Oh, if only we get like uh, the strange days. Like if only I could live as the cop shooting down the slide. Uh, for yeah. yeah. It's just like POV, you're the cop. And then 404 Media could turn it into the first metaverse VR experience. Um, that is a joke, but, um, they, they did respond with an incident report. And so this injury was bad enough that it had to be written up and filed away. Um, an ambulance was called and something that's very curious to me is yes, as you mentioned, there's a suspect listed in there and it just says unknown, unknown in all caps for first name and last name. And I have to assume that like their computer system will not accept the report unless there's something in there. But the better explanation is that he was like pushed down the slide and an unknown assailant ran away or like the engineer of the slide is on trial here. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty absurd thing and we're going to do absurd FOIAs, but we're also doing a lot of serious FOIAs. And I think that absurd FOIAs actually are very instructive because the way that this incident report was written up. It was just like officer redacted hit arm and head needed medical assistance, blah, blah, blah. And they did not say what this officer was doing, which is what we've seen. I mean, look, this is very frivolous, but quite literally, this is how some of the cop like cop involved shootings are written up as well where it's not like police officer X shot unarmed man uh, and killed them. It's like unarmed man struck by bullet. You know, it's very passive. Pursuant to officer investigating 911 call up. Yeah. 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 And it's like, so that, that just shows me like, even on the most frivolous dumb thing, they are, obfuscating what actually happened. It's like dumbass cop went careening down slide of own volition, <laughs> hurt self. It's not like the slide right. isn't even mentioned, but the location is playground. And it's so, you know, yeah, it says something, I think. Well, and so, and that's like, so obviously, you know, when I think about 
you know, motherboard as a whole, like obviously like you couldn't bring everyone. And like the thing about motherboard is that like people had a lot of specialties, right? Like I think about, uh, you know, I'm always here to learn more about how much Aaron Gordon hates cars. Right. And also hates rail companies. But like there's that, there's that process of, you know, in, in part of starting this up, uh, everyone has specialties and some of those specialties are like, they are still at motherboard. Some of the, some of those folks who are like subject matter experts are still there, but then also, you know, in your own rights, you were also subject matters, matter experts in stuff at stuff that you were covering for, for vice. Uh, so, you know, talking about that, like that mix of the frivolous and then fucking companies up, uh, you know, as we, as we get to the end here, let's, let's talk about, the overall approach to what a day of what a day at the blogs will be like for 404 as it's coming together. Emmanuel, maybe you can take this. Uh, yeah. So Rob, you're, I mean, the way I would describe motherboard is that we just wanted to let people pursue what they were most interested in because that's how you get the best stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're not going to get a good story if you assign someone something that they don't care about so it's just like you tell me what you find interesting and let's explore it together um and i'm sure that's how that's going to continue to work obviously you're i don't think that i will be writing all the stories about trains because i'm not an expert i am not aaron gordon the god um who knows so much about this subject we're going to write about the stuff that we know uh the most so for us that is hacking, crime, the right to repair, uh, niche communities online. Um, I come from video games. That's my background, uh, especially interested in labor and video games and labor in general. Um, so might get back into that. Uh, sex work, uh, Sam, uh, the best reporter on the planet on this subject. And I've had the pleasure of working with her on some of this stuff. So I'm sure we're going to continue to do more of that. We already have uh, AI uh, as another beat for us. Those are kind of like broadly the things that we're going to cover. But I think we reserve the right, as always, as we have a motherboard to write up whatever we think is interesting and important. And most importantly, we're going to blog and we're going to have fun and we're going to post stuff to the website. But we want to justify what we do by writing stories that only we can write. And that has sort of been the strategy behind the stories that are up on the website already. Um, and what we're hearing from the audience is yes. It's like, everybody's like, wow, this is incredible reporting. It's like, nobody else is talking about this. I didn't know about this. That's what we want. We want to like break news, show you things that you would not know if we didn't exist. That, that, that's, that's that's the pitch. Awesome. And I, I mean, think also, yeah, um, it's it's like a little bit hard to talk about, but I, I just I think that it's worth saying it's like. Everyone who is at Motherboard is extraordinarily talented. They are very good at what they do. If we could have found a way to take the entire thing and move it over and keep doing it, we would have done that. Um I like talk to VC type 
people. Um, and it's like, we don't want to take on investing. We don't have any investment, but it's like, is there someone who's willing to give us money to get this off the ground so that everyone can come and we can like do this thing? And the answer was like, in this economy, like, no, like no way. Um, not because we don't think that it's going to succeed, but because it's just like, it's too risky. Like we're not willing to do it. And then you start, you know, you start doing like back of the napkin math of just like how many people do we need to subscribe in order to like not replace what we were making at Vice, but to like, what is the least amount of money that I can live on and like make ends meet? And it's like, it's a daunting number. Like it's a daunting number. Um, And so it's like, we want to this company to succeed and we want it to grow. And, you know, we, we want to like bring along people when we're able to afford it. But I think also I'm not the boss of this thing, but people were like, Hey, like you're the boss of motherboard. So what are we doing? Um, it's very, it's like, I didn't, it's a very different thing becoming, someone's direct employer versus like just being their manager at a company like vice. And so it's like, I cannot in good conscience be like, Hey, everyone come to this thing that unless we get 40,000 subscribers or something, we're all going to make like $2,000 a month. Or if that like, like it's just not ethical, it's not, but it doesn't make it any like less hard to like, because at the same time it's just like these people are one my friends two i respect them deeply three they will be fine at vice but at the same time it's like everyone at vice is like is there another option is there somewhere else to go and so it definitely like weighed on me still weighs on me and it's like we're launching this thing and it's gonna be an uphill battle for it to be viable. Like I think that is becoming more clear after we launched, um, which is not, we've had an amazing response and we're thrilled with the attention that we've gotten and people sharing our stories and people subscribing and that sort of thing. At the same time, it's like, we're starting from scratch, like in terms of subscribers, we're starting from zero and each and every subscriber like we're getting little emails when people subscribe and I'm like, yes, amazing, amazing. Like, this is awesome. They're coming in every like few minutes or whatever. I'm like, this seems great. And then you kind of like check the numbers at the end of the day. And it's like, okay, like, I think that's good, but I have no idea if it's good. It's like, I just, I'm like, I think it's good, but it's also like, this is, we're getting a lot of attention now. People are subscribing on Goodwill and stuff. And it's like, when you can see, when you can see the numbers, like, so like the way, uh, uh, Substack works is like every time you log into your dashboard to see to write a post. Like if I want to write something in my Substack, the money you're making is the first number you see. You see the amount of paid subscribers, and then you see the revenue it's generating. And like on Substack, people you know can pay monthly, annually, and then you can make it up an arbitrary number. And like every time I log in, they're just like post, po- and it's like this is a secondary gig I'm doing, but like then I'm just gonna post about something interesting my kids did. And I see the number go down like $200 or something just because someone decided to cancel like for a monthly sub. That's fine. They should do, they should live their life. Like it's the way that weighs on you, like individually with each person you stack and then collectively what that means is 
in some ways for as bad as all like working for a company is, there's like almost beauty in the, uh, the abstraction that like when you are faced with the raw numbers and like, well, you all have dealt, we've all dealt with this. We're like, you write posts, they turn into traffic and somehow it goes through a machine and turns into like your salary. But then when you and your articles are now the product that turns into subscriptions that turns direct, like you, it's just about a much shorter cycle. It's like liberating and also terrifying as you decide like, what am I writing? Why am I writing it? Like, how does that, you know, and like balancing that between like, I want to write good work, but also good work that leads to people clicking that want to subscribe. It's just, it's a different way of doing things. And it comes with its own set of terrifying numbers and just like personal hangups of how you deal with um, like knowing that that is in front of you all the time. And I think that's our way of saying like, we are very humbly and very, um, like we understand asking for money is a big, it's a big thing to do. I don't like begging for money. We don't want you to donate to us. We don't want to be a charity case, but we do want anyone who's listening to this, please like check out our website. Please consider supporting us. Like we are dedicated to making sure it's worth people's while and make sure that they feel like they are getting their money's worth. Um, we think what we do is important and a lot of people have told us what we do is important. So like that feels good to us, but it's also like, we can't do it if people don't subscribe. Um, we're going to try to like find other revenue streams, like sponsorships, advertisements for non-subscribers, stuff like that. But it's like, that's long-term. I mean, that's like pennies, trickling in from ads over the course of a long time. And so it's like, we, we really are a subscription reader funded publication. We're so excited about it. And it's like, I know that we spent a long time talking about vice on this. Um, you know, vice treated the motherboard people on this call pretty well over the mm -hmm. years. It's like, we weren't worried about getting fired. We were, you know, I, it's a very difficult company, but it's like, I don't, I want people to subscribe to us. Not because it's like we were screwed over at vice somehow. I want them to subscribe to us because we're doing like valuable and good work that they want to support, I guess. Or for whatever reason. But also, if you hate the company and would like to stick it to them, I can tell you that that would be a valuable use of your time and your money to then subscribe to Forfo Media if, if you hate Vice. I can say well, and that. And the track record is there. Like, I know Jason doesn't necessarily, due to various, like, maybe legal reasons, talk about the big dubs that have cropped up for mother for this for this crew over the years uh but i will just re recommend people learn about a company called shot spotter and like what they like purported their capabilities were uh and then just various things that were discovered about their capabilities and, and huh, how just a bunch of huhs how they huh. reacted to to that um you know, I think for a long time, you know, I think we all remember there was sort of a cutesy look at the cutesy sex positivity of uh, Pornhub and just the just how progressive they can be. Uh, and then, you know, we learned about a really popular series of porn videos on that website. Uh, Girls do porn. And that turned out to be basically an organized crime ring uh, that was that was operating and like committing really heinous crimes and uh, really like traumatizing and victimizing women. Uh, and motherboards reporting was instrumental both in unmasking the people who were perpetrating that, 
and also the indifference and cynicism that was enabling it. Like the, like these are things that had momentum and financial interest backing them. And this, this is a team that has shown up and fucked people up um, who maybe had it coming. And, you know, I think that is, that's worth a subscription. We think so. Where can people subscribe? <laughs> or for media.co. Dot co. Dot co. Dot com was co. many hundreds more dollars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these, are the, these are the practical realities <laughs> of starting no, a but company. That sounds British and classy. Yeah. Dot co. It's very, you know, it's, it's the new wave. Dot co. Dot, 404 dot media, also very expensive. Don't go to those websites. Go to 404 media.co. <laughs> Keep yeah, clicking that so that Google surfaces that. <laughs> yeah. 404 media.co uh, slash sign up uh, to, to subscribe. And uh, yeah, like, Really excited to see what y'all are going to do. Um, excited you're you're out of you're out of vice and are able to start working for yourselves and uh, you know building building your own outlet. And just you know, as always, I've always, I've always been grateful to work alongside y'all. I've been proud to be associated with Motherboard. In addition to the fact that I think had we been integrated with any other team. Waypoints just done though, <laughs> like four or yeah. five years ago, Gone. just like just. Or, or unrecognizable uh, from from what it is from from what it was. So like, you know, we we we've always been proud of our association, and also we've all we've always been cognizant of the degree to which we benefited from it, and our audience has as well um, for for your help and uh, you know protection in a lot of ways over the years, and that continued. Right until past the last day, really, uh, you know, when when time was up for us. So, uh, yeah, just as always grateful, grateful to y'all and proud of y'all and excited to see what the future holds for 444. Thanks, guys. It means a lot. I would just say I would not. Rob, you've been so both of you been so supportive and. uh Really, really needed that support in order to awesome. do this. Well, excited for the future. Yeah. It's going to be good. We're big, big Remap fans, and you made it. Um, you you definitely inspired us. I mean, I don't think that we're here if you guys don't do Remap. I think if y'all were like, this is too hard, not going to do it, it would have been like, eh. And we're not, well, we're okay. not here because... <laughs> we didn't do waypoint plus if you didn't do a rogue zine and then open up a yeah. payment mechanism with like, 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 I'm sure we told that story before. And I don't want to keep going on and I, but like, like literally you starting a print zine within motherboard opens up a payment mechanism for us to do waypoint plus out of nowhere in very short order, which then turns into remap, which then turns into four Oh four. Like you just, you never quite know where that stuff is, is going to roll to. And um, it has led to some incredibly cool things, even if there's been, <laughs> some, some ups and downs along the way. All right. So once again, uh, that is all at 404media.co and you can subscribe at 404media.co slash sign up. Uh, so check it out, read the stories there and uh, absolutely subscribe and support, support what they're up to over there. 
Uh, gang, thanks so much for coming by and chatting and, and also filling in some fascinating blanks around uh, the, the, the last the last New lore drops for myself, for Rob? Like, this is... This is like, <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll drop more lore sometime in the future once I remember what it is. <laughs> I, I've, like, forgotten so much lore that... Uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> no, there's gotta I'm be sure. more. We can, we can always more. go deeper. There's always something else. All right. Thanks, gang. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off.
All right, and we're back. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's take a dip into the question bucket before we talk about our last games thing, just because I think it'll be easier. The games thing's going to touch on some Baldur's Gate spoilers, so I think it'll be easier if it's just the end of the podcast, and you all can decide whether you want to opt in to the many varied ways uh, some of the <laughs> Act 1 stuff can stuff can work out. Uh, but I wanted to just take a little, little dive into the question bucket. Uh, Ethan writes some follow-up info to the Trader Joe's saga. Two things. Weird packaging. Trader Joe's produce is often packaged in baffling ways, but there is a reason for it. Maybe some current or former employees can chime in on the specific rationale they receive from the company, but you'll notice that they don't do any sales of anything by weight, i.e. no bulk bins for anything, produce or not. It's always by unit. Mm. So items that can't easily be sold by unit if the customer pulls from a bin i.e. leafy greens, or things that aren't inherently always the, roughly the same size need to be packaged somehow to be sold by unit rather than by weight. For example, things like apples, melons, onions, bananas are all generally sized in a way where variances in weight wouldn't significantly affect supply costs and can easily be counted for, so you pick those up individually from bins. However, leafy greens will always be in bags, and certain other things that conceivably could be easily countable but maybe would vary in size too much for managing costs, zucchini, for example will come bundled on odd bubble wrap foam trays where size weight variants have been tightly controlled for. Produce quality. It's definitely the case that Trader Joe's produce isn't the best. It's worth noting that it's probably highly variable by region. Here in Northern California, where we have ready access to spectacular produce, Trader Joe's generally has pretty passable stuff. You're never going to find anything truly special or exotic. And for certain seasonal items, peaches, for example, which are always only available on large flats, the quality can vary from season to season, and it's quite frustrating to not be able to make your own individual selections. Uh, that said, huge shout out to Nugget Market, who both source amazing local produce and are consistently ranked as one of the best employers in the country, offering their employers better, better benefits and pay than nearly any entry-level job that would require a four-year college degree. You pay for both those things at the register, but I'm happy to pay a whole food tier premium <coughs> in this case to get food that's actually a step above. Plus, to shop at a place where employees actually seem to be genuinely happy to be there. Oh, one last thing. Never buy bread from Trader Joe's that you don't intend to eat within three days. It will be moldy by day four. Uh, so that's that's <laughs> Ethan's uh, Trader Joe's update. I hadn't put together mm-hmm. that, yeah, it, does, it, it is about the weird, like, packaging things, individual, like, units like that. Right. Uh, but I will say, I think it was, I think it was in California where I genuinely kind of turned against Trader Joe's produce. Because, like... It was so far behind what was just at every grocery store in the Bay Area that I was like, what are we even doing here? Why why would you why would you shop at Trader Joe's if you live in Northern California? Uh when when the bounty of California agriculture is just literally like tumbling onto the floor at any other grocery store. <laughs> yeah, I especially given that I'm part of a CSA, I've just never it was never good. I would like make a second trip to like a Whole Foods for produce back in the back in the day, back before Whole Foods was owned by Amazon. The quality has dipped significantly. It has dipped significantly. <laughs> Not uh, really worth the prices anymore. <laughs> no, no. I thought it was so funny when uh, people were noticing just how also like those used to be gorgeous stores that they used uh-huh. to be like really meticulously laid out and yeah. uh, and it was just always looked like you're entering uh again just like the bounty of the garden of eden <laughs> and then suddenly it started to look 
like there'd been a run on food supplies like that the famine had already been like the famine alert had gone out and everyone had swarmed uh whole foods and the explanation was well it's more efficient like trader uh whole foods is now just running the amazon inventory system and they're basically just in time delivering stuff to their store so that's why the store looks picked over half the time wow. um, yeah oh my god yeah which no. maybe there's something to that but but doesn't seem doesn't seem great uh freya writes hey remappers so my partner and i getting married next year and as part of wedding planning we're considering whether to incorporate our hobbies in some way gaming for me board games and tabletop rpgs for her my question is have you ever seen this done successfully or maybe not so successfully have you done it yourselves would love to hear any any hobby inclusive wedding stories our best idea so far is just to have copies of the card game love letter on the tables thanks and fcgh freya from oxford uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything that extensive for our wedding. Although, um, at the time that I got married, uh, my, one of my, uh, best friends, uh, still worked at Riddell Sports, which is where my dad worked, which meant he also had access to factories that could produce jerseys. And so for everyone in the wedding parties, we had custom Chicago Poles jerseys made for each of them. And then we did... Rob, if you watch Chicago's Bulls game, you know that the intro is a very particular style of intro with a fantastic song. Oh, yeah. And we did. We had someone imitate that announcer style, introduce everyone to that music with their own intros as they came in for the proper like uh, uh, party part of uh, the wedding. Um, the other one was that we... Didn't like any of the traditional sort of wedding music. We didn't get married in a church. Um, and... We were uh, obsessed with Lost, and so we used different orchestrated versions of tracks from that show um, as – and it was very, very funny for, like, the couple of people in the audience that over time, like, while I'm waiting for my wife to come down the aisle, it's like, you'd see someone go, like, wait a second. Is that, is that from the television show Lost? Like, yeah, it is. Um, I, I like the cards on the table idea. I think for, like, look, weddings, you are getting married. You're throwing a party for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so you got to pick your battles on like where you are incorporating like your hobbies, pushing things on people like that is going to kind of break the vibe of of the party. And I think having cards on the table is a really good idea. Even have like a dedicated like game area that could have stuff for people to interact with sounds extremely cool. Um, I think once you get into... Like, and now we're going to halt the entire wedding to, like, make everyone do a thing. Like, that's where you probably start getting into potentially dicey territory. But even that depends on the size of the wedding, yeah. right? If you have a heavily curated small wedding, it depends on the scale, right? Are you having a two to 300 person wedding where it's your friends, your family, friends of family, it's the whole nine yards? You're just going to be limited on what you can pull off. The smaller it goes, the more you can... You can do, though, because then you know exactly who's there and what they're willing to engage with. I think uh, one of the I think this was at a friend's wedding. Um, they had had a bunch of cake tiers decorated as board game covers. That's good. And like they were shockingly good renditions of popular board games. Like it was like that thing. It wasn't quite, it didn't slip into the uncanny valley of like, is it cake? 
Uh, it, it steered clear of that where it wasn't just like basically like uh, putting a photo on a layer of fondant. Cowards. Uh, but but it was like a it was really like oh here's a cute rendering of like uh settlers of Catan. Here's a here's a really adorable uh here here's a really adorable version of like letters from Whitechapel, stuff like that, uh that people could be cutting into. So that was that that was really neat. Um yeah, I don't know. It's I wish you luck. Uh, you know, my wife and I eloped. Like we we did the entire like COVID is the perfect smokescreen for us to get married. And it's like, sorry, we just couldn't have a big family wedding. Uh, you know, <laughs> thinking of all of you folks and your safety. So it's just like poof, puff, you know, we 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 advanced under under that cover. Uh because boy, the the sheer number of things that get weird around wedding season. Uh in terms of like to, as Patrick alluded to, who is this for? Who gets to who is who is meant to enjoy this? That That's gets, why you have that to. Ca- really it's important tricky. to car. I've told this to people when uh, I've heard they're getting uh, married, and then I ask the scale of the wedding. And this is this applies more to bigger weddings than to smaller weddings because that's just where the there's increased interpersonal relationships, like more like family friend drama can like spill out. It's you want to f- find like early on, like pick a couple of things that are going to be express like you the relationship and like hold firm to those cuz you're gonna lose grip on yeah. so many other things as you as you collide closer to it um and like i'm so like i remember one small thing um i i just remember this when i was then thinking about our wedding my wife and i obviously like kind of bonded over horror films and so we had a very traditional looking wedding cake but then the toppers were blade and leech woman from puppet master and if you've never seen leech woman um this is Leech Woman, um, and was at the uh, top of the <laughs> of the of the of the wedding cake <laughs> alongside. Uh, this is Blade, who's a you know a little more traditionalist, just a just a, a sexy Blade boy that like who who wouldn't want that uh, on their wedding cake? <laughs> nice. um, and they were tiny; they were not big, but <sighs> it, like meant the world. They, and almost nobody noticed, right? Like how many people are going up to the wedding cake and and examining that. But like I knew it was there. My wife knew it was there. And it made like this one, like one of the more intimate parts. If you do that in part of your wedding, which is like the cutting of the wedding cake, like something that was firmly ours. Like the music, we, I remember with the DJ, we said, look, do whatever you want. We, we own the intro and the outro basically mm-hmm. for like the party. Yeah. So we're, we own the first couple of songs. After that, vibes, vibes. Like you, I, I don't need to own three hours of a dance floors playlist. Um, like you should, like just let that be what you think the the party is responding to, and do the ebbs and flows. You, this is your job. Like you understand how to run music. As I, but that ha- final half hour, I don't give a fuck who's on that floor except for like me and my friends and this very specific playlist that we have developed and. <laughs> That last hour, half hour is one of the most memorable moments of my life of like my friends, like lifting me and my wife up crowd surfing into uh, Prince's Purple Rain as like all these like purple charade things like fell down on us uh, that a friend had brought in and made an enormous mess. There was a huge pain in the ass to clean up, but it was, it was like it was worth it. And we just owned like these. So like that's kind of my broader advice, like as you figure out those things is find these sticking points that. Like can be memories for you later, and then let the rest go because weddings just they sprawl fast, and 
You think you can control all of it and make it all highly personal? You can't. You can't. And you're going to hate yourself, like, on the path there. Like, my wife had to eventually just take a breath and just, like, control what you can control and let the rest kind of, like, fall where it may. Matt writes, Hi, cartographers. My question for you all is, how do you look at answers when you're stuck in a video game in the year 2023? Certainly there's something to be said for the playground approach of learning through experimenting with a game and its systems and avoiding looking up help, but I've been struck by a trend that's only gotten worse with respect to strategy guides and tips. SEO hell. I've been boxed in a few times with weird bugs and character locations on Baldur's Gate 3 and invariably try to look up answers on the web. However, a whole slop of SEO-primed word salad articles from game sites I've never heard of litter the top results of Google when you try and search for a particular quest. It's maddening, and many have incomplete information or just say it's unclear at this time the impacts this decision will have instead of any answers. Reddit can work occasionally, but it varies by game and by community. Fan wikis are either severely delayed, a problem with a new release, or advertising eyesores, wiki a disaster. And don't get me started with YouTube. Hey gamers, they were back with Baldur's Gate. I know Baldur's Gate 3 is a special case that will take months to unravel, especially given how creaky the game gets in Act 3 and is in the zeitgeist generating attention slash clicks, but this is a problem I've seen across many indie titles as well. So what's your collective approach in dealing with this strategy guide, strategy guide conundrum? Thanks, very grateful for all you do. FCGH, Matt. Hmm. What well, makes me very appreciative of games like uh return to monkey island i think that was the the newest one that came out uh last year that had a built-in hint system that scaled on what you were looking for like when you were on a puzzle um or in an area and you wanted help it it just the first level restated the problem which is like this is what you're trying to do uh which was useful in and of itself to sort of like reframe what you're after what you're trying to accomplish and then a layer below that was, have you considered this? And it doesn't tell you what to do. It just gestures broadly at what you could do. And then I forget how many layers it goes. But eventually it's just like, look, do you, do you just want a sentence that explains what to do? And like one time I did. And it was awesome because that's what these guides don't really – yes, it's true mm-hmm. the SEOfication of guides. On one hand, you know, I've done a bunch of reporting on this, is forms the foundation – of like the financial validation of a lot of websites on the other hand makes looking up basic information a complete fucking nightmare um i've experienced this like weirdly a little bit where with um starfield a game i can't talk about but in which i was trying to figure out something in how the game worked and <laughs> it just happened like i was like a lot of footage is out in this game maybe there's a video that shows how you do this thing and i can sort of work backwards from what I'm experiencing in the game. What if you wrote and an entire all- guide by that principle? So there were already, I can, I guess, okay, I don't think this is breaking. And I was like, I didn't understand something about the, 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 the lock picking uh, mini game in Starfield. And there was already multiple SEO guides built out of existing footage of the game that was like, here's how you, un- here's how you do a lock in Starfield. But then halfway through, it'd be like, but we don't know how it actually works because the game's not out. <laughs> it's like, this is fucking useless. You're just doing an SEO land grab on something that people are going to search for, which mm-hmm. I understand financially how we end up here. But that's bad because they're going to get a top ranking 
over something that I have no idea if they're gonna go back and I, fix. Uh, man, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe this was a this is a, this is a bad way to structure an economy. I'm beginning I'm beginning to have some suspicions that something may be fucked up here. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, trying to find other ways to fund a video yeah. game website, yeah, you will end up mostly yeah. no, with trust a zero. Me, trust me, I know. <laughs> um, but my actual <sighs> advice here is. Um, Go to like a. Here's the thing. Most major publications. Now Patrick's right. Most major publications are like basically running off of SEO and 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 guides work right now, which means that like nine times out of ten, there there will probably be some. Maybe for a specific Act Three Baldur's Gate like a bug or quest. Maybe not because that game is like a, as you said is a particularly tough one to untangle. Insofar as like people literally are are, are beginning to lose uh, clarity on what is a bug and what is the game working properly. Um, but my actual advice is to whether whatever your website of choice is, whether it's like IGN, which to be fair has a has a great has a terrific guide section, has a has a phenomenal guides and wiki section. Um, Go to those websites uh, and pay attention to who's writing those pieces. And like actually mm. be like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Ne like it, it, there's not a, like an overnight answer. Here is how you find information on the internet. Uh, instead, it's like, okay, cool. You're going to have to do a lot more legwork of being like, okay, who is writing this specific guide that I like for this game? Can this person provide, can, does this person have guides written for the other problems that I am having here? And that is how you find really good information and really good guides. And, you know, also like, maybe, maybe, maybe send those people a little tweet if you like their shit being like, hey, thank you for this. Uh, because, you know, guides work does actually get like really severely underappreciated and is also like really difficult from a technical writing perspective. Um, a lot of guides writers uh, who are good at it are actually like really great technical writers, which is particularly frustrating because technical writing is actually a field that pays pretty well. And guides writing generally does not. But um, that would be that would be my recommendation is like pay attention to who's writing the stuff that you do like. Uh, and then when you find a problem, go see if they have something. Uh, and eventually you'll have a large enough like list of people that you're like, OK, cool. Someone that I trust has probably written something about this problem. This is the this is kind of the funny thing is I think it's one thing that contributed to the lack of appreciation for guides writing is that before this became such a focal point for website monetization and then became a point for like SEO chum content just to just to draw the the the, the search traffic over uh i think one reason this stuff all felt so fungible is that when you typed in like whatever keywords you associated with the problem you were having you might be guided to one of like three or four different like really good guides that were you know, probably half of them were created with just, you know, they were community created or something or just a, just a random guy's writer at like GameFAQs or something. And then there might be a website who put the put the guide together. But it was like this notion of Google would steer you towards, well, here's the info you're looking for and here are the places that you can get it. And it was all kind of interchangeable. Those, those three or four guides would probably all be pretty good. You could, you know, figure out which which of them you want you wanted to use. And now it's become this thing where it's like just a cloud of, you know, tra like search bait. And it's really hard to find the thing where, no, who actually vetted this? Who actually made sure that this explains clearly what's going on 
or even is correct about how to handle this problem. Ed isn't just restating the problem in different ways to try to draw me in here. And the answer is like, it's, it's really hard now. This is kind of the, the web that Google's built. And so you end up back in this place of just as you used to have like, oh, my favorite movie critics, my favorite game critics, you do, you do really need to start paying attention now to like who is publishing good guides, who is writing good guides. Because if you don't keep that information in your head somewhere, if you don't know like, oh, yeah, I know these like three or four guides writers and I know like these two outlets that, that really put these things together thoughtfully – if you're go, if you're at the mercy of search, which most of us are, because that's how you interact with the problem. You're like, oh, what the fuck am I doing here? And you just type in the keywords. That doesn't work well anymore. And maybe it'll work as we get further away from the release of Baldur's Gate and actually useful stuff begins to bubble up to the top of search rankings. But man, these these early stages with the SEO like land grab stuff that goes on, it's bad, and it really does highlight the degree to which. Search has become useless in a way it used to be a shortcut to. Uh, I mean, increasingly, problems. like even even writers you really trust is is. is uh, I think I've I've talked about on I, f- I forget was this just like in conversation on Mike? Have I talked about like the paper towning that was going on at Fanbyte uh, when I was there? Okay, yeah. I don't remember if I'd actually talked about that on microphone before, but like even then, there's there's there, there, there's some weird shit out there, uh, and so yeah. I wish there was a better answer to this. Uh, sadly, <laughs> gestures broadly, the economy. No, and it's, it's you know, like there were, you know, I, I kind of liked the idea that Sony had with the PS5 UI in which the, the idea was supposed to be that you gain, I don't even know how this integrates into the games anymore if they required developers to keep doing this, but it used to be that you would be able to pull up in the UI if you were stuck or looking for something the games, like developers would, because they know the games intimately, you'd be able to bring up in the UI like videos that kind of explain like, hey, if you're looking for the icon, you know, like the hidden thing here, like here's actually where you can find it if you just want to know the solution. And it's like that tries to address the – like the video has a lot of advantages, but it's inherently a pain in the ass to find a solution to something because scrubbing through a video to find the one bit that you need when you can just search for a headline that is hyper-specific – and then control F your way through it. I, I don't know how you solve that video problem. Um, and then it's also just how do you solve I want the hint for ice versus I want the solution. Um, and sometimes that can be like to this point that we're talking about guides writers. They're like different writers will write things in a way that might be more in line with the way that you want something to be unpacked. Whether it's a direct just <laughs> solution bomb or uh, kind of an explanation of how you arrive at something. Um, but I mean, broadly, it sucks. Is I think what <laughs> I think. I think what we're concluding. So uh, we will actually. You know, I'm going to do the outro here, and then I want to talk about Baldur's Gate real quick. So stick around for for after this next bit because we're going to talk a little more Baldur's Gate and offer some of our own guides, tips, and tricks about the first act <laughs> and various ways how to solve Kaga Druid Grove. Oh, oh my! So that concludes God. another episode of remap radio this episode this episode was songs produced by kato uh the theme song is moments pause by tumelo you can check out his work at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com uh you can follow everything we do at remap radio on twitch blue sky x x yeah we are we are i know we can be no we can be specific actually you're gonna have to update this rob we now um have active accounts on mastodon uh, dot social 
on Blue Sky and on the, I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter. Um, and we're cross posting, uh, as much as we can between all those three accounts. I'm, I'm handling that. Unfortunately, you can't pre schedule stuff on, uh, Mastodon and Blue Sky doesn't support videos. So like when I'm sharing like old clips and things like that, that is still happening primarily on Twitter because it's the easiest to, to do it there. Um, so hopefully better solutions will arrive at, at those. And whenever Threads has a web client, which is supposed to be, I think this week, I am just, I will just paste like stream announcements. Like I feel like everyone's splintered and you should be allowed to be splintered. And if you want to follow our stuff in a way that happens through socials, I want to try and provide people with more ways to do that. So while everything is fractured, we will just keep fracturing. And so whenever Threads has a web app, we'll add a remap account there. And if you want to follow us there, like Twitch announcements and like podcast posts, um, that stuff will will arrive there. Remap has embraced social media accelerationism. Uh, <laughs> once again, we rely on our audience for support. And you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. Uh, the basic plan provides access to an ad-free version of this podcast and the projects we carried over from Waypoint Plus, uh, including the sports podcast. The foundation plan is, you know, an ongoing work in progress. But this week, one up there is the HOA in which Patrick and I had a long conversation about, so how stuck are you in your current place and how many problems that you would like to run away from are you now stuck with uh, as as part of your living situation? Uh, so, so be sure to check that out. And Hey, if you are looking for other ways to support us, please consider, uh, leaving a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And remember your support also lets us set time aside for streaming. Uh, this week, as you're going to hear about in a moment, Kadu and I had an epic finale to our, uh, to our time in Baldur's Gate. Did we get through act one? No, but did we solve an interesting <laughs> central problem in act one of Baldur's Gate? Yes. Yes. Uh, and there's some stuff that I that I had not seen there, seen there before. Uh, and this week we will also have Armored Core. Mm-hmm. And then you can watch Patrick and Patrick Cotto and I uh, look at Gamescom opening night, appreciate the vibes of Keeley's hosting <laughs> decisions. And then you can watch me live on stream, learn about what it's going to cost to repair my combat building. Uh, Ren, you, I, I'm not going to play any more Armored Core this week. I think... I want you to capture your so we can show what you're doing, too. But I think a good bit for however long we stick with me on that stream is yeah, I'm, you're going to help me rebuild Patrick, my mech. I would love to work help you rebuild your mech. The chapter one boss and see if you can help me get yeah. over that. You I can be you. my guide. I, I don't need that. You. You're my SEO. <laughs> um, and, and then we'll also check out what Ren is doing in the game and the kind of mech that, um, yeah, let's do that, that she's excited. Going. All right, we'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism, go home. And now, some spoilery discussion of Baldur's Gate 3. Okay, real quick. Ren, yeah. you said yeah. your druid was yeah. really good at druid faith. Yeah, I'm really good at druid faith. you walk up and talk cog... Because the, the, the opening act is that yes. the druids are going to yes. do a ceremony and banish yeah. all the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did you just walk up to Kaga and logic her out of her position of we need to perform the banishing ritual? No, first I found her shit. I found her like evil. I found her evil okay. shit. And when you I found, found her evil, evil shit, yeah, I found the evil shit and was like, all right, Akaga, come on. I'm, okay. I'm, a, I'm a druid. I know what's up here. I know about what these books say. 
you're, you're fucking you. kidding me, right? If you're a good enough went... bard, you can also do that exact same thing. <laughs> if you've got, if you've just got enough pers- persuasion, you can be like, Kaga, please, is this what Sylvanas would want you to do? And she's like, damn, it's not. So I didn't have checks, though. So that's the thing. I did oh, just talk my way. So like, it wasn't like, check, 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 check. Uh, if I remember correctly, I, th- I think I may have had like one or two checks, but for the most part, they were all with advantage and they were all like, I believe it took me down like a separate dialogue path mm. where like, okay. it wasn't just like, it was not, oh, Sylvanas, like, this isn't what Sylvanas would want. It is like, let me like tell you about this piece of scripture. Okay. I thought you just rolled up and she was like, no. I'm performing the banishing ritual. And you were like, mm, the Bible says <laughs> no. that you shouldn't. No, it was like, I found your evil Bible, which explained to you why you should. And let me tell you, that Bible is evil. Kato, you can tell me now. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't know about this, like this, this approach? Oh, no, I, absolutely not. Because you keyed on to the fact that, that you were like, hey, well, those rats, we should talk to them. And then the rats wouldn't talk to us, which was weird. I, I'm not playing. I'm not. I don't have animal uh, talk to animals on in my game. So this is so like every that was fucking just, animal. That was just talks. A, yeah, that was just a that was just a well we have it on. We should talk to every animal we see. And I noticed Kage's the rats. These, these three rats. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also <laughs> just weird because like who would have a snake friend and then has like uh, pet I rats mean, running around them? Yeah. The rats wouldn't be fine with that. They would not like they would not be like, Oh yeah, I'd love to hang this out is... near the near the snake. But these rats wouldn't talk to us. And yeah. it's like every animal talks. So what's going on? What's up with the rats? And the answer was, yeah, shadow druids, <laughs> shadow, shadow druids, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fucked those guys up too. So, so did you have to go to the swamp still to find that secret shit, or did did, did you have to did you skip past that that step of the? Because we found the secret shit in the grove. The like, yeah. here's some evil letters. But then, yeah. in order to further investigate and confirm, we had to make a little excursion out to the swamp. In order I to... did, in fact, do that as okay. well. Yes. Okay. But yes, I yeah, also did when we went back to the Grove, there was like a, yeah, it was like, here's some persuasion checks now. We're going to hope to turn Kaga over, like, over uh, to not being an evil druid. <laughs> it was awesome because like, my main playthrough is just go get House and he's going to come back and, and solve it. Yeah. And now that. Yeah, could be an entire like battle your way through the goblin camp type situation. Right. But my my bard with maxed out persuasion was just like, look at me. I am the absolute now. <laughs> and so everyone in the <laughs> goblin at, camp is like, wait, oh, shit. Wait. Yeah, you seem like you should be here. Sorry, Rob, are you using maxed out persuasion or are you using illithid wisdom? You, you can't because you can't use Elephant Wisdom that much, right? You, it's you one use long per rest. long rest. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I am just walking up to folks and they're like, hey, are you a big deal with the Absolute? And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and just like continuing to sort of just bypass everything in there and like chatting up everyone involved. Uh, and so that turns into a like basically talk your way through the entire goblin camp and talk people out of their cages. Uh, so what's totally funny. different vibe. What's really funny is that I did that, but through a back road, like a back, a back route. Remember that goblin that's in the cage? Yeah. I had, I had her spared and then I also let her out. 
And so she led me through the goblin camp, being like, yeah, they're with me, basically. And I don't have that high of a persuasion at all on my monk. It's not super high. So it was more she said I had done this this act and this specific character was like, all right, let's go. Like, let's go talk to the the drow lady. (laughs) So just so I know, just for context, how, like, in their main playthroughs, how far is everyone through Act 1? I am, like, in the goblin camp, and I just found Halson. You've just found Halson, but you have not gone to the other part of Act 1. No. I, I'm post-raid. Uh, You're uh, post-raid, but pre- But haven't, I, I, I've, been, I'm, I've been pointed at Underdark or Mountain Pass. I've been yeah. given that choice, essentially. So that's Got where it. I'm about to head now. And by Got the way, it. that's like- Setting aside the time I played with Kato, mm-hmm. I think it's still like 13, yeah. 14 hours, maybe more of yeah. Baldur's Gate. Yep. Yeah, it's just like it just keeps going. It just keeps going. And there's caves, and it's like this doesn't even have anything to do with this yeah. that much. When I hit the Underdark, I was like, I would like Act 1 to be over. Well, the minute I hit the Underdark, I was like, I think I'm ready for Act 1 to be over, and I would love to get some new characters in the mix. I would, I would love to get some new people in this stew, because right now, I'm uh, the stew's been sitting out for a while, and it's starting to get a weird smell. So, speaking of weird smells, this is the last thing I want to touch on, just because you mentioned the mm-hmm. game is kind of cracking for you in yeah. Yeah, Act yeah. 3. No, 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 Act 2. Act I two. didn't even Ooh. get to Act 3. So, what happened was... In Act 2, so in Act 1, Lazel says to you, Man, I gotta go check out this Gith crash. I, I, yeah. I gotta go check out this crash. And I'm like, sure, Queen, we'll get around to it. Uh, and then I just basically didn't talk to her for the rest of uh, Act 1. Uh, because that's the problem. The, the, the thing that happened was I didn't talk to my companions enough in Act 1. And so when I started Act 2, there were a bunch of story threads that, like, I was supposed to like that were there was triggers that were supposed to be happening that I was just completely missing. Uh, And this all came to a head when Lazel was like, I'm going to leave your party if you don't fucking help me deal with this gift crash right now. I will I will fucking quit on the spot. And then the game goes, hey, listen, um, if she tries to do that, she's going to try and walk through an area that it's definitely 100 percent going to kill her. If she tries to walk through this area, it's gonna kill her. It's gonna kill her a hundred percent. So you don't want you probably don't want to do want her to do that. Wow. And then I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. You're right. So you can just say, let's go do the gift crash and yeah. Go so together. like, let's go over there. Yeah. And then I load back into that area, uh, the Act One area where you may- meet the gift folks, uh, and then. Her quest completely, it completely, I have never seen anything in this game break this bad, where like it would play out a full conversation scene, cut to a totally black screen, and then cut to my character talking as if I had been the one doing the conversation scene the entire time and not Lazelle. Weird. And then there was a Lazelle needs to speak to you icon over her head forever. And, like, nothing I said to her actually opened up, like, unique dialogue. And so she was just, like, her story was completely frozen. And I could not get through that interaction without it, like, completely bricking that quest line. And so eventually I was, like, when I realized what was wrong, uh, because I haven't been taking as many long rests as most people. Because Mm. uh, people have been saying this thing about Baldur's Gate 3 a lot, which has been, like, driving me fucking crazy. Because I thought I was an insane person. 
where they were like, you should be long resting after every fight, after every major fight. You can like sit down, long rest. You'll have the supplies to do it. The game is balanced such that you can long rest like pretty frequently. That is not how it's balanced on Tactician. How much does it cost y'all to long rest? 40. 80. Jesus. <laughs> they, double the, they double the long... Sure you do, bud. They double <laughs> the long rest cost, and that food goes quick. It goes quick. And so, mm. like, I was, like, dragging myself into Act 2 of like with this, like, completely fucking broken yeah. and battered crew of people because I just hadn't been able to long rest enough. And long resting is what is the thing that, like, triggers a lot of these, like, character story moments. Well, it's funny. I think Kato and I fell into being somewhat long rest averse because just, like, in terms of thematically, yeah, you're all on the clock. Yeah. Like, you don't have days to burn. Each time you go to a camp, it's implying that, like, we've lost a day here. And so, like, I think there's a bit of I want to get the most out of each, like, long rest cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we like and I also think the game probably became a little more interesting for that. Right. Having like going into a lot of fights with like 50 percent of your abilities up yeah. rather than 100. Because yeah. now it's not the full you you can't bring all your A level material to every fight. Now it's like, uh, you know, the way when I got through that swamp is like, wow, we collected a lot of throwables. <laughs> I haven't really needed them. But right now, that's all we got. Yeah. yeah. No, that's why I love that's what I love about Tactician. We basically is that I'm bunch, having beat to a bunch that. of trees to death with bottles. <laughs> yes. yes. That's what I'm having to do constantly. Uh and that's what I like about Tactician uh, a lot. Yeah. Is is having it's, to do that like triage work really consistently. Yeah. And so like that's why I love I love Shadowheart. Because Shadowheart has a ton of like pretty solid damage spells as a cleric, uh, and all of which are concentration based. And so, yeah. you know, that's the other good thing about druids is that like druids have abilities like Lightning Storm and Moonbeam, uh, which are basically once you uh, hit someone with one lightning bolt, you can just keep doing that uh, for as long as you maintain concentration as a full action. So you basically get access to this like big zap. And that's like most druid spells uh, mm-hmm. are like on concentration in that way which just just in case you're wondering yes you do maintain concentration in wild shape sorry i just realized that this isn't coming through Kato, just cut that no you can maintain concentration in wild shape uh which is like why druids are like really sick is that you can like put down like a cool aoe spell and then turn into an owlbear and then knock someone into it um which is extremely fun uh, because you also get the concentration and like constitution stats uh, of whatever animal you turn into. But to your point, Ren, I think one of the things that I think is really kind of not sinister, but it's extra tricky here is that so the game feels like a million the things can play out a million different ways. And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But it also does make it hard to detect when something is broken, when something is just like slipped, like when a gear is slipped. I've heard a lot of people talking about like stuff that is supposed to happen. Will hasn't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, did you not hit the triggers or did the triggers break? These are really important questions. And it's not it's hard to know what's what's happening in in this game until suddenly you see a lot of evidence that like, nope, this entirely broke. This isn't like yep. this yeah. is not how this is supposed to go. And it's it's just funny. Like I think the early parts of Act One feel so buttoned up and it's like, wow, it all fits together. And there's so many different ways it can it can go. But these 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 longer arc things or things happening deeper in the game, it seems like there you start to see, you know, the unwieldiness of a game like this uh, and how hard it is to, you know, 
polish up a game like this and make it work 100% of the time. But that is tough if this is a game that demands a lot of investment. And yep. so when you hit those points where it's like, oh, I think a lot of things didn't work correctly for me. That's both like really frustrating and really shakes your confidence in continuing because it's yep. like, am I just going to continue discovering that like I missed several checkpoints because they didn't fire correctly and now I'm boxed in or I've yeah. lost progress. Uh, hey, listen, I just remembered I changed my therapy time. And I have to go do therapy before <laughs> before we talk with the 404 gang. Uh, so we will, we will wrap it there. We'll check back in on, on more Baldur's Gate stuff. Uh, but yeah, that is, that's our little dip. That's our little foray into, mm-hmm. into guides. Uh, that's, that's how you deal with Kaga. We didn't even get to the assassination, uh, the, the coup plot for, for Kaga, which was probably my, I will probably it's Zevlor just like you kill her. <laughs> oh, so yeah, yeah. That, like you yeah, want to just kill her? You just, I think you just we, kill like, her. I think a lot of the druids would like it. Everyone hates Kaga. And so, you know, in my next playthrough, it'll just be like Dagger in the Dark, baby. Yeah. I wanna I wanna I wanna attack the rats. Because oh, they'll pop out a rat they'll, they'll pop out a rat form if if And they then take there's gonna be damage. a lot of people like who the fuck are who these? Who the fuck guys? are these? Yeah, who are these fuckers? Yeah. <laughs> I'm super great. curious how it thought. handles it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, check back next time for for the uh, for for the rat gambit in <laughs> in Baldur's Gate three. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>